Bram Stoker makes a movie, Harry Potter talks to snakes, and Daniel Day-Lewis puts on the tall hat for his second-to-last film. This week on 3020 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across three decades in this very week. The week we're recording from is November 11th through the 17th, and we'll be talking about three decades in that same window, 1992, 2002, and 2012. And in case you listeners were on the edge of your seat last week, that was COVID, not just me being, I think I said, ah, I did it too hard on Halloween. No, I recorded for two straight days with a 100 degree fever and COVID. I want to treat COVID like cancer. Fuck that disease. But it's kind of rough and I shouldn't have done that. But uh, now you know what it sounds like. And I apologize if my performance was off because it definitely felt off on uh, the other show. Anyway, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, you little bitch troll from hell. You mean, ungrateful little bit of dirt. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm J.R. Rawls, and I won't be long, Seymour. Just wait here until I get back. Okay. And also, let me say, because Diana, I might cough a little bit here. I'm recovering. As far as I know, I'm like the only podcast host I know of who is recorded with COVID and recovering from COVID. So... Relax a little bit if you hear me coughing off Here's mic. your metal. Good Hey, I was talking about you and coughing on mic. Like, hey, listeners, I, you might hear a cough. Relax. I'm not going to have COVID every week we record. I just don't want the listeners to have to listen to your phlegm gobs all the time. They're not gobs. If they were, I'd be satisfied. That Let me believe that some of this is over. Anyway, get vaccinated, people. Uh, because I got COVID... I learned this. I got to wait a little while to get my the booster that I probably should have had. So I need to wait, I think, 30 days. Somebody said three months. I hope that's not it. But uh, after that, uh, I will have the infinity gauntlet of immunity, all the vaccinations plus the disease. <laughs> I look forward to that. Please get vaccinated. It's too late to vote, so I hope you're enjoying your uh, Handmaiden's Tale art. ARG. We'll be talking about a bunch of fun stuff this week that I had a difficult time watching not being able to breathe and falling asleep on medication. Um, but it is a super, super fun week of uh, Stone... I don't want to... Not Stone Cold oh. Classics. <laughs> there are two very big movies this week and yes. two separate things where I just... I'm at a loss for words. I have so many thoughts all at the same yes. time. There are, there, all the thoughts. There are two or three things oh. in here that I consider... Either are my annual viewings, but I wouldn't recommend for any everybody, or things that are near and dear to my heart that hurt to hurt to watch. I think what 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 kept me awake and emotionally engaged the most may surprise you. Probably not, Diana. Let's get Were into there Muppets in it. No, 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 no. no. Good for you. Uh, Nineteen. We're November seventeenth, eleventh uh, to the seventeenth. We're talking about uh, throughout three decades. Pull up a chair and uh, look into that first window as I make that Doctor Strange sparky window into 1992 and if you look really close inside you can see riddick bow win- winning the undisputed heavyweight boxing title with a unanimous decision over evander holyfield in las vegas um and it's like the, the first of their three fights to date he is the only boxer to hold a world title in the four major sanctioning bodies in the boxing sport oh uh, what's that right. H- hbo the- showtime no the the titles got broken up at some point oh I think boxing is the stupidest organized sport. I I, I really (laughs) 
I think so we just wrong. need to nationalize boxing. So there's an actual like boxing. I'm a boxing like nationalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it makes no sense. It really but, doesn't compared to every other sport. There's different. It's basically if there were multiple baseball leagues all playing at the same time right. mm -hmm. and the same teams play in the different leagues <laughs> and one yes. wins this league, but doesn't win this league. But if they win at the same time, the same year, then it, then it's the uh, the United Belt. This also had a big asterisk on it because Mike Tyson's in prison. Yep. Yes. He has been stripped of his titles and he cannot fight. So if, if there's a great there's yeah. several great documentaries about it, but it's it's so shitty because Mike Tyson, while a piece of shit, is considered the shit, and anybody who wins a boxing match is illegitimate as long as Mike Tyson isn't fighting. Yeah. Go to bat exactly. again for chasing Tyson. That's it is one. one of the most riveting documentaries I've ever seen. Not a sports guy. I've loved every 30 for 30 I've ever watched. And this is one of the best. Of it them. is. And it's all about how the best boxer can't box. So everyone else who keeps winning, it's like, yeah, but yeah. you're not. And, and like, and like the many teachers of defense of against the dark arts ways, Tyson denied Holyfield victory, even <sighs> while fighting him. Like yeah. he, he never let him get a clean victory five times. There's like different things that happen, including ear biting where you just like, did he win though? That, that's a disqualification. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Riddick Bo just, he sort of gets lost in the shuffle of a lot he of these fighters. He's amazing. Lost. He's yeah. an amazing. Yeah. And then Evander Holyfield fighter. may have been one of the best fighters of his generation and is yes. a pretty decent guy as well, but never got treated like he never got treated like the yep. best fighter. And oh, if we got to talk about bo boxing documentaries, though, I have to recommend everyone go watch When We Were Kings again because so Documentary Now is back. Oh! And they just parodied it, and it was so good. Oh my god, I gotta call my father. Oh my oh. god, I've never heard John Reese Davies swear before in my life. <laughs> and it's so funny. <clears throat> All right. And uh, if you're a comic reader this week, I didn't know where to put this. Superman begins to die. I think that may have happened last week, but he, he... hasn't died yet. In a few weeks, we're going to cover the the comic issue when he does die right but this is the they, it's they're milking this it's his he's it's fighting work. doomsday from like november 5th <laughs> until into december across several issues they dc has said months ahead of time superman is going to die so now you have to buy like 18 issues of him i think fighting doomsday or it's part of like doomsday's origins but it's hilarious. Superman is dying, air quotes, <laughs> across several issues oh, throughout DC Comics then, this month. Doomsday has gone on to be such a beloved character, much we like Harley Quinn. <laughs> Everyone wants to know about Doomsday, his rich inner life. He's just, you know, someone people can't get enough Well, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse on this because we'll talk about another DC character later on. But I grew up, Superman was the shit. He had the most toys. He had movies, cartoons. Uh, TV shows rerunning on television. And I, you know, I had some preference for Batman, but I thought he was the biggest shit in the world. And I think what, what we're watching right now is Superman. Superman's star falling a little bit while another DC character mm -hmm. is well, way on the rise. That's because if you look at it, you know, the Christopher Reeve super movies were mm -hmm. huge in the 70s. When we were very young. Yeah, very young. You know, and Quest for Peace kind of killed it. And then the Burton Batman movies mm -hmm. were the biggest thing around. So it makes sense that Superman would fall and Batman and, would ba rise and Batman was getting time. interesting writers to take interesting mm -hmm. chances in the comics, which Superman 
wasn't doing at this time. And mm. as we're going to talk about this freaking week, the best animated superhero show of all time. Yeah, here we go. And then let's, but before that, we got to move into movies, 1992. Here's one. I wish I had a better explanation for you why I watched it so much. Uh, Alex Scott, uh, Jacqueline McKenzie, Daniel Pollock, and Russell Crowe in Romper Stomper. I don't have any Nazi friends, but that you know of. Uh, well, this is when we were really young, but this is and also this is where Diana starts putting on a uniform. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> no, <laughs> you just call me a capo. Oh motherfucker, you did it. <laughs> That's a side aside. Um... <laughs> I'm not watching. Anyway. I'm not watching the movie Romper Stomper 1992. I'm married to a Jew, by the way. <laughs> I'm not watching uh, Romper Stomper 1992. I'm watching it in 97 or 2000 or whenever Russell Crowe has become a big star. And it's yep. it's sort of a rumor out there, like you know, this guy stars in like a fucking Australian Nazi movie that they won't release in the United States. It's not that they wouldn't. It's just that there was no reason to. They hadn't done it yet. And when they did, it's like Russell Crowe with a big swastika on his head and chest. Like, what the fuck is this? This big new movie star is in this down and dirty Australian Nazi movie, where, by the way, if you're a racist, they fight mostly the Chinese. It's very odd for an American to wrap your head around that kind of Nazi. Oh, Vietnamese. 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 Yeah, so Romper Stomper is loosely based on a real guy who was found guilty of axe murdering a dude at a Hitler birthday party. And, 420. Uh, and he's out now because they don't have the Australia. Anything. Chopper's <laughs> out. Um, Bronson's yeah. out. So um, <laughs> this is, I, it's a very small movie. It's a very low budget movie, but this becomes Russell Crowe. Is be, he is the, hey, it's that guy out of this movie. of like, yeah. who the fuck is that guy? He's a really good actor. He's damn good looking. And he's not the main Where character. He... He's the, he's the best friend who becomes the villain. So it's a, it's kind of yeah. a fascinating role. Yeah. And, mm. This is like he'd been on Neighbors. He'd been on like some little Australian TV. He had been a teen pop star briefly as Russell Rock. Mm-hmm. Look up pictures of that. It is adorable. <laughs> he's got a little new wave haircut. And yeah, so within a couple of years, he's, they're bringing him over to the US of like, you look like you could play a bad guy uh, inside a computer against Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, yes, there was his breakthrough. Virtuosity. Yeah. But but uh, my friends and I were yeah, was, I want to say in defense of me, my friends, we were we were a fan of like low level pre gun gang movies. Wanderers, Warriors, Outsiders being like the best three. And this is an Australian street level gang movie. Yeah, but they're not. It's one of those grimy films yeah. like Taxi Gross. Driver, mm-hmm. where you feel like you want to take a shower after watching it. Yeah. Like you don't like any of the characters and they don't spend a lot of time about why they got this way like they spend some time on why is this girl falling with this gang and you understand oh yeah her life is wicked fucked up and they also don't spend a lot of time on the ideology or anything they're they're just violent thugs their thing is running around and anytime they see an asian person beating the living shit out of them which leads to the asian community which i like getting ready for them and so like there's a big stretch in the middle of the movie that's basically these six skinheads versus seriously like 50 vietnamese dudes with yeah. baseball bats fuck off that is my love language yeah <laughs> fuck I off nazis because so, uh, yeah that's that tends to be how you deal with nazis is you need to show at least overwhelming numbers to make yeah. them realize no you don't have local support you guys suck go home god i hope you people voted this week jesus jesus Christ, if you did not i am going to do a nationwide tour 
Send me your address. Of, of Will Smith's you're, slappage. <laughs> you're Diana. getting a talking to. <laughs> okay. But um, uh, I, I don't know if I'd recommend this movie now, but it, like at the time it was like, as far as a gang movie went, a Nazi movie, and like the debut of a big, big movie star, it was fucking fascinating. I still own the double disc DVD. It has a ton of special features. But it is ultimately about a guy, it doesn't tell you ideologically, ide- ideologically why, but outgrowing Nazi behavior. Mm-hmm. That's what the movie is about. And it's, yeah. it's, it, it, well, he, it's like he finally has something else in his yes, life. Yes. And he, and he just immediately is like, no, nah, I'm done. Yeah. Because it turns out like Nazi stuff is like, it's for inherently losers, people yes. with no friends who find the shittiest kind of friends who find and find another group to blame for why they're losers. And the second he doesn't feel like a loser, he doesn't need Nazis anymore because Nazis are dumb. Anyhow, Nazis. This, you thought you thought maybe me talking about nazis could piss off diana i'm gonna piss you off with this next anecdote (laughs) even worse you know i'm gonna like this movie you do i do because i saw this movie all of my favorite people in it i saw this movie my mom and you have some similar tastes here alfonsia manuel uh tony slattery uh rita rudner uh, Imelda... written with her and her husband wrote this movie. Really? Rita Redna. Yeah. I haven't seen her in any movie other than this. Imelda St- uh, no. Staunton, Hugh Laurie, Emma Thompson, Kenneth Branagh, and Stephen Fry, Peter's friends. And so... British Big Chill. Yes. <laughs> Let's just say it now. It's just British Big Chill. That's and... almost exactly what it is. I'm still in a one TV household, and I forget my mom was watching something around the same time with a similar, not premise, but like an ensemble cast. And she's like, shut up, that's Peter O'Toole, I love him. And then, you know, like I go upstairs and come back down, and it's this movie. So for about 10 years, I thought Stephen Fry was Peter O'Toole. Because of this movie, <laughs> Peter's Friends. See? Yeah, that that you can hate me for, Diana. I, I But... I forget the other movie, but there's a Peter O'Toole movie where I think he's maybe gay hosting a party. I forget what it is. This being called Peter's Friends created a lot of 11, 12-year-old confusion in my head. I, I see. Especially because my mom made a big deal like, you don't fucking act like that when a Peter O'Toole movie is on in this house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to high-five your mom yeah. next time I see her. Yes. Falls <laughs> asleep. In this house, we respect Peter O'Toole. Falls asleep in a CPAP to TCM every night. Ah, uh, living the dream. Living the this dream. dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would that we all could be so lucky. You know, Peter's friends. It's about. It, it feels very semi-autobiographical because it's all about people who are in like a Cambridge Footlights sort of comedy group in college, oh, really? which like uh, most of these people were. And then you know they move away, and one of them moves to Hollywood and has like a very Hollywood wife. One of them works in a bookstore and is like got a whole bunch of problems there's a married couple and one of their twins just died and they're very traumatized by it they all get together at a big house and all of their problems come out and then there's the airing of grievances and all kinds of shenanigans <laughs> and is, is there any movie out there where college friends get together with a long after a long break and they're all pretty much where everyone expected to be and happy <laughs> with their lives yeah I just, well, I just pick, I, that. when I was 18 years old, I picked the exact right career and the right wife. It's everything's going great. <laughs> everything's going great. I made all the best decisions at 17. <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny if there were a movie like that where, yeah, there is one people like one couple where, no, they're great. Yeah, and they fine. don't understand what everyone else was probably. Why is everyone so yeah. angsty? What, what, why are you questioning your decisions? I, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Why is this joining up with people who knew you when you were younger suddenly making you reevaluate? Why are you drinking things? more than two glasses yeah. of wine in this during this conversation? God, we're the most boring couple in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think now there should 100% be a couple like that in the next movie like this is to get made. They got married at 22. They had children Perfect. at 24. 
they're both happy in their careers and happy with sex each other. once a day, sometimes twice. What is your you people's problem after thirty yeah. years? Oh, <laughs> why is she crying? I don't understand. <laughs> oh. That's great. Yeah, no, Peter friends. I mean, it's it's pretty charming. All these people are ridiculously good actors who've all gone on to be much more famous. Fry and Lori had already had their uh, sketch show together, oh. and I think they'd already done uh, Jesus and Wooster, or they're around that time. And like. Everyone's which, which so won the, which, which almost won the Ron award. Thompson are married at the at that point. Uh, that hadn't broken up yet, so uh, it's very it's it's charming. It's funny. It's got some laughs. Everyone's real good in it. And I wish I could say? say the same for the next movie because I wasn't going to bother to rewatch it because of how many times I had to watch it back in the day. Blake Clark, Dylan Baker, Hillary B. Smith, Dale Midkiff, Mary Mara, and Bancroft, Sandra Bullock, and Tate Donovan in Love Potion Number Nine, a thoroughly unremarkable film that. Uh, to me, in, in, what Jr. Stretching, he's getting ready yeah. for something. <laughs> no, well, to me, a thoroughly unremarkable film. But what I, what feels remarkable about it is how quickly Sandra Bullock became a movie star after. Like, what is it? Speed. Here it is again. Yeah, is it? Here, yeah. It's speed. Absolutely. Here it, it is yeah. again, man. Just just speed like and a time to kill. Romper stumper. This movie sucks, but anyone who watches goes like. Well, she's got some potential. Yes, and, and and everybody who's writing about Sandra Bullock's ascent is like she actually, you know, she actually was in a movie before this called Love Potion Number Nine. HBO found out in twice a day during her ascent <laughs> would play this fucking movie because yeah. it was obtainable, and yeah. I never want to see it again, never, and I wouldn't even watch it for the show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so I watched this a ton. Yeah, because it was on HBO. And because I was a horny 14-year-old and the idea of what if there were a potion that would make people want to have sex with me sounded like a really good idea. It did. Had that fantasy yeah, after Aladdin. Then, you know, you kind of think about it a little bit and you go, that's rape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to think about it in the right way and in the right voice. No, they are. It's just a potion. It's a potion. Call it a potion. It is more cute. Yeah, Diana has uh, her head in her hands, and we should stop. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of a love potion does exist throughout human history. You can find tales of it going back, and it's 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 named after a famous song. Because I think at the heart, it's people always want the best mate they can. In real life, you have two options. You're not getting the romantic partners you want. You have two options. Writing this down. Either improve yourself or lower your standards. Aww, but I deserve everything now. (laughs) Exactly. And that's where the love potion fantasy comes in. And it has immense appeal throughout history because of that until you do the simple golden rule. How would I feel if someone used the love potion on me? I know, in love. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, what if a mentally unstable, gross, disease-ridden, homeless person used a love potion on me. Would I be like, okay, that's fine. No. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's, when you're watching this movie with that mindset, it, it's kind of like, yeah, this is this is not great when you actually think about what I mean, I, I thought it was doing. a dumb as fuck movie before I ever learned about ethics or <laughs> moral, the morality of it. <laughs> movie, very not recommended. Very not recommended. Very not recommended. It, it might be... Even though it's like the third best movie starring Tate Donovan. Hercules way up there, though. Fuck Love Potion number nine. This next movie is an annual watch for me. Utterly oh. ridiculous. And- oh, my God. I feel 
so blessed that just before Halloween, I got to watch this full of a room of people who had never seen it before. Wow. And one who had seen it probably 28 years ago. I watch it every year. I got the 4K copy. It's beautiful. Oh, I would love to see this in 4K, but please, this, this this is a movie I feel so conflicted about. I feel so conflicted, almost like I was written in a book one way. And then they took a screenplay and they just sort of crammed in a romance angle. And now suddenly I want to marry the guy that killed my best friend in front of me. The utter gall of everything on screen in this film. Tom oh Waits. God. I have so many stories. Tom Waits in as he's the Dwight Fry Sadie Frost, yes. Billy Campbell, Carrie Elways, Richard E. Grant, Ke- Ke- Keanu Reeves of Westminster Abbey. Um, oh, and, man. And- you... You should have heard the applause when people found out there was a cowboy in this movie. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, Winona Ryder, and Gary Oldman with cinema's greatest hair, hair, haircut. Number one, number one at the box office, that's the hardest to believe, Bram Stoker's Dracula. This Friday, in darkened theaters across America, prepare to experience the most terrifying thing. Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> a Francis Ford Coppola film. <laughs> oh, you got the Godfather guy making a Dracula movie, and and I didn't know this as a kid, and it's what fascinates me now. We did a Laser Time a long time ago where I tried to gather over a hundred facts about Dracula, because other than like. Jesus or Robin Hood is the most popular pop culture figure in Sherlock Holmes. Dracula well, and it, Sherlock Holmes are pun in, pun, in film. In, neck in, neck in film. In film. In yeah. film. I, I found more Robin Hood and Jesus, but, but Sherlock Holmes has them. to be up there. But but Sherlock Holmes and Dracula are the most filmed fake characters. One, one of the best stories ever is Nosferatu being like one of the first bootlegs because they couldn't get the rights ba- back before Bram Stoker's book Dracula was public domain. It, everybody wanted to adapt this and everybody adapted it basically wrong. And this is Francis Ford Coppola like, no, this is the one all the book fans have wanted for the last century. This is the movie. It'll also have a game on Sega CD. It'll be everything to everyone. That's how important it was for hope. So it confused the shit out of me when I was a little kid. Who is Bram Stoker? I had to like look, get to know this one in 1992. I, I loved hearing about this from my parents, but uh, it, it's, it's Francis Ford Coppola trying to add the utmost legitimacy to his adaptation and it is a wild adaptation <laughs> not an authentic adaptation i don't know why he did it but yeah to call it bram stoker's dracula is basically saying we are adapting straight from the book and we are doing it letter perfect so much so that they have like the narration because the book is an epistolary novel mm-hmm. i love using when when i know cruel words it's based on it's diary entries letters newspaper clippings mm-hmm. you know it's it's based like that and they carry that over in the movie to a point but then they also Forget. turn it into, well, they also kind of ground it in history and that this guy's basically Vlad the Impaler, but also they make it a love story because he has crossed oceans of time <laughs> to save you. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about every single performance. It's though, our, but hey, look, it's this week's yeah. best bad vampire movie. Yes. Well, yes. Here's yeah. the thing that's so crazy is like there is so much good shit in this movie. Really is. Like I said, the Rocketeer plays a cowboy and it's in the <laughs> middle of this movie for reasons. And that is straight from the book. Wow. Yep. Yep. But if you really wanted to make Bram Stroker's Dracula, Bram Stroker Ace. 
I'm making I'm combining a movie here. Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know what you'd have to do? What's that? Make yeah. it a found footage movie. Yeah. Ooh. Because it's I all mean... about clippings. It's all about journals, newspaper articles, diaries, and whatnot. So I think that's the way you'd have to go to actually try to make it his story. Yeah, a lot that... of those is a cool idea so the background on this is winona Ryder was supposed to be in godfather 3 that's where this starts and she dropped out because of exhaustion because she did like four or five movies that year we talked about them she did you know mermaids and edward scissorhands and heathers and so many so unfortunately francis ford coppola replaced her with his daughter sophia and that didn't work great but she really wanted to work with Francis Ford Coppola because she ain't no fool. And she had gotten her hands on this Dracula script. And she was like, dude, this is fucking crazy to make it this <laughs> giant gothic romance. Like, we're going to do sexy Dracula. And Coppola. Can, can my boyfriend be in I this? Am, I am shocked that Francis Ford Coppola has never directed an opera, as far as I can tell. Mm. Because mm. I feel like that's what he should have been doing. Because this is so big and gothic and over the top and just grand guignol blood fucking everywhere and but, i mean that's Rococo his everything. you know the not godfather really. is not the godfather is not a realistic portrayal of the mafia the godfather right. is an opera about the mafia yeah but what he the choices that he made here is he he got uh, i think dante spinotti is one of the art directors and he got one of my heroes uh, Aiko Ishioka who I brought up all the time on this podcast because she's an amazing artist she wins the Oscar for these costumes and he tells them both do everything you've dreamed of go bigger <laughs> bigger I, I and don't... that's how you get Dracula with that giant white hairdo his hair and is so queer oh uh, the, the opulent <laughs> cape with all the embroidery everywhere and it... It's I, sure, I, go crazy. I, Just do it. I can't think of a movie. I, I I hasten to call it bad, but like the the production design is unforgettable and so good, oh, so that, very very that's very good. What everyone remembers about this? Yes. This movie is going to get referenced for the next ten plus years. It's going to be yeah. in some Halloween episodes of The Simpsons. Directly a, a whole Treehouse of Horror. I like just referenced it. Shot for shot. Yep. <laughs> shot for shot it's going to be a bunch of things when people think about dracula but all they're thinking about is the visuals i don't think any well the only memorable non-visual part of this film is keanu reeves acting because <laughs> keanu reeves oh, oh, poor baby. the worst performance of his entire career in this film <laughs> it is bad so bad and the accent is so bad uh, there's a like see this have killing his career i could have mm. seen some timeline where it's like well you were good for one role in bill and ted but after that performance in dracula i'm not going to cash you into anything yeah oh my god so was that, was that a favor to winona because they were dating at the time that's what i thought i remembered reading no i think uh i think francis for coppola said like i i want someone that the audience like cares about he wanted someone mm. matinee idol style which okay sure, fine okay yeah that's in that way that makes sense but he that. can't do the <laughs> job it's no. so bad and part and that adds to because everything is so over the top and he is doing such a bad job of like processing this information both as an actor as a character the whole like first half of the movie with the, with the audience i saw it with who had never seen it before it played totally as a comedy 
it is hilarious how dumb this guy is in castle dracula here's dracula <laughs> yeah. he's being spooky okay. i never drink wine it's even before that he drives <laughs> up and it's like wolves and demonic flames and he's just like <laughs> oh well huh. all right time to do paperwork Okay. Oh, yeah. Hey, could you, you're going to stay here a month. Could you write a series of letters to everyone telling you that you're fine and you're staying here a month and leave them open so I can read them and then I'll mail them for you. Okay. <laughs> uh. Oh my Lord. He is, it plays so fucking funny. Ah, but okay. So here's some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, which I'm taking directly from Richard E. Grant's production diaries, which he published and they are wonderful. So they all, moved to Francis Ford Coppola's like vineyard yeah. and all lived in the house there, which sounds pretty rad and did weird acting games. And then Coppola got it in his head that the three suitors, Richard E. Grant, Carrie Elways and Cowboy Billy Campbell should like bond as a unit because they're going to be like a fighting force at the end of this. So he sent them off on excursions that he decided Victorian gentlemen would do, which mostly meant hot air balloon riding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh yeah richard e grant just writes extensively about like we're just standing around in a hot air balloon going well napa's nice should we really... not be making a movie right now please please watch hearts of darkness to see how great that fucking compound looks oh my god oh looks so good this is why i'm so torn like i have to recommend this movie because oh, yeah. it is looks like nothing else on the planet and the fact that it's francis ford coppola and it looks like nothing like else he's done mm -hmm. all these practical effects these amazing layered shots where it's like a peacock feather becomes an eye, becomes the setting sun, becomes like over the castle. And it's like these process shots are gorgeous. No digital anything in this movie. Yeah, period. it is. At Even the... just the, the a shot of someone's fangs growing in. Oh, my God. I have no idea how they did that. I am being so fascinating watching the tail end of practical effects because mm. that CGI beast is approaching like a mother and it yeah. is gonna devour all in its path but right now we are seeing yeah. how good can you get with just no computers because really this is just like I, camera matte paintings and matte paintings and amazing and, and, and cleverness i love his armor that he looks yeah. his armor looks like a beating organ in and of itself and you it's can see cool. the armor at francis ford coppola's vineyard oh hell yeah it's we gotta like, go <laughs> so i decided to use my dad points to have the oh, whole no. family watch this. Oh no. Yay, oh, I can't no. I want to hear. And first my son walked out. <laughs> then <laughs> my wife walked out. Then my daughter walked out. Yep. That's so, how I remember it. That's how I remember viewing this as a kid. I cuz wow. this was advertised in I, I was I was hoping the daughter would stick around cuz she's a tween and this mm -hmm. really hit so many girls were just when they became goths. I have a story yeah. about that actually. A uh, clueless oh, yeah. JR uh, oh, I was boy. in drama in high school, and uh, there was this real hot goth girl. I didn't have a lot of friends in high school, read no friends in high school. And we were talking and getting along well, real well. And she was like, oh, you should watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. I have a book on the making of it. And look at this scene with all the hot vampirous Oof. women. Isn't it a good scene? Oh, I guess so. <sighs> 
bitch. What are you doing? Uh, women, 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 they want the blood. Did, did you not understand? She, like all red-blooded women, gay or straight, wants to fuck Monica Bellucci? Nope. <laughs> nope. It, it was just Clueless JR did not pick up on any subtext in that conversation. And it was <sighs> like, I, I think I, I had a chance to go watch it with her. And I was like, no, I don't want to see it again. It's like, oh, a very yeah, early role for Monica Bellucci. Young oh, JR. It's like, oh, well, and that's uh, the, the 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 allure of Dracula comes from kind of not being able to talk about horniness. Yes, I believe that's totally post Bram Stoker's Dracula. Maybe. I think the sexiness is really not in his novel. But I it, don't it's, think it's there. It's in the it's in the, it's in the Lugosi movie, and it's in right. it's in most vampire stuff. And I, I just want to say this in this movie's defense: dating a girl, very like not in a horror, only in vampires. There is no perfect dracula movie it's not like frankenstein or the wolfman the original dracula is not very good either it's just bella's performance is very cool you you know what is a really good Hmm. 30s dracula movie what the mummy yeah yes yes. the mummy is just dracula over again and this is just the mummy the original one over again it's that same idea of like this is my lost love reincarnated i will kill everyone to, to try to get her it's the same plot man Um, except this one's got crazy costumes and screaming and blood and so many crazy images like a shadow running across a floor dripping blood right my god i I would put why doesn't every movie have that i would put it out here this is the the best dracula dracula movie there are so many shots like that where it's just like okay you've drawn me in i wish they had a better plot to go along with it (laughs) yeah Oh, yeah. The folks I was with, the, the whole middle of the movie, they were just sort of lost. But Van Helsing shows up and he literally has voiceover saying, and now I, Van Helsing, will be a character in this movie. <laughs> Van Helsing tonight will be played by Sir Anthony Hopkins. And, the young and spry Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> and, and it's like, what? Like, they were just lost for big chunks of it. Where it's pretty clear what's happening. They're just going so crazy with everything to, like, really amp it up. Yeah. Everything's got to be so amped up all the time. And it's so goofy, but so pretty. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I, I, I'm like I was reading like what's the sort of what's the the influence that this movie has had? And yeah, we're making vampires sexier and sexier and sexier. You gotta really mm-hmm. turn up the sexy on the vampires. Mm-hmm. You know, Anne Rice is writing her books. You know, around this time, and she's obviously playing into the extreme sexuality of vampires. The original book is kind of more about being afraid of foreigners. <laughs> And and, and and I'll say the new show is about not sugarcoating gay the gay relationship between uh, Lestat and what's his nuts. Oh, it's it's not it's it's not alluded to anymore. It's because it, it, yeah. It, and I was watching all those vampire stuff with my lady. Like every time the hottest person in the universe shows up on screen, she's like, "That's a vampire." I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Like, yeah, all the all the super hot people you want to bang are always vampires. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's sort of new to me because Gary Oldman's yeah, character right. was not that at all. <laughs> right, but then he be- he becomes young, but then mm-hmm. he becomes old. also. I mean, p- people he can move around in daylight. He's just really weak when he does it. You know, he dresses so ridiculously, and like Winona Ryder's accent sucks too. Let's not yes. pretend. And Oldman and Coppola could not work together very well because like Oldman. He's very method, but he also like just didn't understand his instructions. Like there's behind the scenes footage of him just breaking the fuck down because he's been in makeup for five hours and now he's gotta Hard come man. out of here. And he's just like, What do you want from me, Francis? <laughs> and, and and Tom Waits is 
Renfield. Oh, oh my god. Renfield. Renfield is the best one of the best things. He is the best thing about the original Dracula movie. Oh, and, he and, still scares me. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Dwight Fry, I believe his name is. Because you could imagine a crazy person yeah. acting like Renfield. Yeah. You can imagine a crazy person think, well, if I eat them, I'll gain their power. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's almost what Jeffrey Dahmer was doing. He's a, if he's I un- eat you, you'll be my friend forever. <laughs> and he's an unfunny version of Guillermo from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> it's unfunny, not oh, sympathetic no. version. Oh, kiss no. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean that's definitely a lasting thing of this. Yeah, ad- adding the operaticness to horror again, and also the score. Wait, which Akilar, who mostly did Polish films, he, he did a couple other ones, and this score. I mean, it's Carmina Burana meets Mars Bringer of War. It is so great that they. I saw a trailer with it a couple weeks ago. Still using it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That is a score-ass score. It's so, so it, 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 it just, it seems bizarre. This movie broke Back to the Future and Batman records during the month it's released. And part of that was because the marketing campaign, I'm a kid reading game magazines and Spider-Man comics. It is advertised heavily across, yes. for, for 10-year-olds, across all those mediums. And they advertise it as being like the scariest movie ever made, which yeah. is hilarious because there's nothing <laughs> scary in this movie yeah but i think it was totally fine to take I, I can't remember if i saw this in theaters but i know when i finally brought it home I'm like man this sucks and is boring i i really want to like this but i don't but the older i got like it is beautiful wonderful painstaking camp and it's it's well worth taking not seriously but like enjoying and i do i very much enjoy this movie more than i do so the original dracula and the other stupid thing if you grew up in the same period you can't love Robin Hood men in tights unless you've seen the shitty Kevin Costner Robin Hood like you and you can't love Dracula dead and loving it without seeing this because it's like way more of a parody of this than it is the original Dracula final thing I want to give this movie credit for Hmm. okay there is no evidence that Bram Stoker had ever heard of Vlad the Impaler We've gone over his notes for 100 years now. There's nothing in there. All we can find conclusively is that he came across the word Dracula in the obscure Wallachian language, and it meant devil, so he went with that. But this movie ties in Vlad the Impaler, which had done before, but this is the movie that really popularized it. This is the movie that went, Vlad the Impaler is Dracula, y'all. And always for the has last been. 30 years, that has been just what it's been locked in. And it's a little more complicated than that, but... It is. I'm it's, summarizing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that yeah. for the, the research I had to do, I was taught that in... That's one of the few things I remember in history class. I remember more about them talking about Dracula than Hitler. So that, <laughs> that's... that's Or maybe that's just what I remember from my education more, because that's what I was more interested in. But uh, but yeah, I definitely remember that. And it, was, it wasn't until like looking into it more, like everybody wanted to find real world basis for this amazing character but there is some reality that bram stoker couldn't have known about every one of these unwritten cultures that couldn't really have happened but yeah whispers and legends there's always some kind of monster like this and it's fucking neat it's and it's worth watching even if it releases this close to halloween jesus christ what are you thinking two weeks after halloween that's this makes no sense to me i mean at least release like 
10 days before Halloween. Right. Get that Halloween buildup. I don't like, get it. We, we've we seen what the competition was going into Halloween. Candyman was the strongest competition for the horror market. You could have blown, and these are two different audiences. You could they could have blown it out of the water. It still makes a ton of money. What the fuck? Yeah, I, I think it's. I guess they marketing, were going for that. His marketing campaign combined with like money? the culture's yeah. knowledge of Dracula as as popular IP. It was, for lack of a better word, Spider Man before you'd ever you never thought you'd see something like this extravagant on screen very exciting and multiple generations were losing their shit when this movie came out bram stoker's name still meant something it had only been out of the public domain for like a couple decades it it knew it now i mean now everyone knows who wrote dracula to people more people will probably remember oh dracula equals bram stoker versus uh well by the same screenwriter Frankenstein equals Mary Shelley. This, we will get to I, that I'm, one. I'm looking at movies. <laughs> Columbia this does inspire the trend of let's name the movie after the writer. Mm-hmm. I did. It, it did happen with Frankenstein a few years later. I'm looking yep. at movies released by Columbia. The last one released was A River Runs Through It. Why could these not switch release dates? Was it yeah. not done? Was it not edited? This is A River Runs Through It is a way more appropriate November Thanksgiving movie anyway. What the fuck? Okay, moving on, because there's even more cultural touchstones to talk about this week. It's holy crap. Fans will get this instantly. Wheels on fire. Rolling down the road. Ab fab, baby. I don't know which version this is, but oh, it's from the specials. It'll shall explode. Ab fab. Um, Every cool hot alternative girl I ever met and was into was obsessed with this show. We would not get it until I think two to three years later. Something like that. But luck this is when we were so blessed when Comedy Central did not have enough programming. Yeah. They just imported a ton of British shit. Yeah. Oh, thank God for them. In, in, in two years, my God, Comedy, show. in two years, Comedy Central would do a, a multimedia marketing blitz promoting it landed 12 episodes of Rick Mayles, The Young Ones. It, I, I have magazine ads. I'd never heard of the show. It's from like 1982, and they treated it like, yeah, we got the best British comedy of all time. Most people don't know what The Young Ones is. It's amazing, but it, it, it like bought it another generation of relevance with people who aren't English, and I think that's fascinating. AbFab even more huge. And I let, Let's describe AbFab. Fab real quick because uh, <laughs> Diane, you have a better assertion of it. I I I came to love it Over... years, even years afterwards. Yeah, um, sweetie darling, trend obsessed drunken slappers. <laughs> How about that? They're unlike anything I had seen on television up and up to that point. And maybe on British oh. television there were similar characters, but absolutely not on American television. No. There there is no the old, the closest thing that's equivalent to Joanna Lumley as Patsy Stone are drag queens. So much <laughs> mixed, with, drag mixed queens with Arthur. This. <laughs> mixed with Arthur. <laughs> Joanna Lumley <laughs> expressed that. She's been on Drag Race UK and she was wow. like well, yeah, I'm. This is where I belong. This is, <laughs> duh. <laughs> These are my people. She, my she, people. She's dead, right? That's no. Oh, I thought she died. Recently. She was I just mean, on she, Drag Race. These are not that old. I mean, the actresses are not ancient, are they? Um, uh, well, Joanna Lumley's seventy-six now. I mean, oh, she's yeah. she's technically a Bond girl. She's in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And anyway, was okay. she? She's, she date, was, she's oh, she was dating uh, Vivian on The Young Ones, and Think still is married to him. Oh, yeah. Sweet. She she's in the young ones in the first season. You can see her all over the place, Jennifer Saunders. Um, oh no, we're talking Joanna Lumley. Jennifer Saunders I, is married to a conductor. 
Oh, my okay, bad. neat. Yeah, Jennifer Saunders. She she had done kind of kind of like a Brit of Fry and Laurie. She'd done a sketch show with Don French, who went on to do Vicar of Dibley, which is also a funny ass show. And then together they created. Well, honestly, it's basically based on a sketch from French and Saunders, spinning off of something called Modern Mother and Daughter, right. which is them being terrible people obsessed with trends and fashion darling and what's the new it thing and this is the qua this is the qua darling and, and uh drinking and doing all of the drugs and falling over a lot and driving lots of drinking and driving in a way lots i do not think we'll see in america yeah it was her daughter who's actually a pretty normal person who has to put up with this shit and her mother who is entirely at fault for why she is this way <laughs> <laughs> You see flashbacks to her birth. It was like she immediately puts on dishwashing gloves and is like, no touching the baby and holding it and giving it affection is bad for them. Proud to be wrong about Joanna Lumley being dead. She is very much alive. Yeah. Thank goodness. She looks good. And the whole, whole cast is great. And I want every every chick I thought was hot and funny and cool was obsessed with this show. So it took me a while to come around to it just because, you know, like most British shows, can't understand it right away. Yeah, I, I didn't you, have any... Do either of you give half a fuck about like the fashion industry no, no, no. or Vogue no. or trends or you don't know who these brands are? Oh, it, and that's a big part of the joke. And that's what got lost on me. I was a Comedy Central geek. I loved yes. Comedy Central. I watched all the Comedy Central. And this was just like, oh, this thing click and I, 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 for, bitches again. I forget it and at one point it did it did click for me i realized that these are basically like two almost like silent era vaudevillian characters that are kind of hilarious in any scene you put them in they will break things and mess things up for themselves and everyone else they're they're, they're really classic comedy characters and yeah and, and jr from i don't know about diana but jr's jr and i's perspective this will become the highest rated thing on Comedy Central. It will define that network for a, 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 about half a generation. But right now it is lost over in England and we don't have the internet to torrent things or tell us that there's this show called AbFab. I think it's like 94, 95 where it starts to pick up in America. What I thought is hilarious because right now, to me, this is my favorite thing in the height of cult. But this is how popular it is in 1992 when I don't have Comedy Central. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is so fucking popular. It gets its own documentary about it called This Is yep. MST3K. It airs this week on Comedy Central. So this, to me, is the pre-internet world where I was such a huge MST3K fan, but what did that consist of? It consisted of rushing to watch MST3K whenever I could, which was not always on a regular time. I didn't know when there was a new episode. So it was just randomly seeing an episode and going, I like this a lot. And then they do a special on it because it's starting to take off. It's starting to get its own fandom. So they're like, hey, we'll produce our own little mini documentary about what this show is about to get to our fans and maybe reach some new ones. You watch it today, you know, this could be a B plus YouTube yeah, yeah, it's it's, but that but that's the thing about the situation. MST, it's a runaway phenomenon. It doesn't cost anything. Comedy Central doesn't own it, but all they kind of have to do is like, hey, uh, Minnesota, we'll give you like twenty thousand dollars to make something new, and they have a ridiculous content contract. Twenty four episodes a year of a two hour show is insane. <laughs> that's like more than like that's almost as much as like WWE Raw. But I I love this clip because it, it's it just to me it embodies everything MST three K is. Uh, and Joel says it. He says it all the time about the riffs on MST3K. We never say uh, who's going to get this. We always say the right people will get this. 
that's, that's, that's the line that's yeah. what stuck with me forever and i went to mst conventions yep. in the 90s when that was super hard to do yeah wow i was part of a usenet group electric which Boogaloo. talked about mst 3k and we put it all together ourselves and we got mike there and it was such an honor and it was so amazing and it was such it was the most joyous fandom I've ever been around. Yeah, yeah people argued which host is better, point. Mike or Joel, but it was never mean, honestly. It was never like hatred that I saw in later fandoms. And even today, I'm sure they're out there. Sure. I'm just saying I haven't noticed them. MST3K got a female host for its first time in its history. I didn't hear boo. I didn't hear MST3K3K fans up in arms about it. That's because Emily, Emily Marsh is great, and they 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 soft launched her in the live tour, so she's like mm-hmm. fucking great, and also a skilled puppeteer and yeah. cute as a bug's ear. That is a really good point. That a show that's based around making fun of people's hard work in making <laughs> a damn movie, making fun of something, has a ridiculously positive fan base. Yeah. That like sometimes legitimately enjoys like the the worst thing I think I've ever heard from anyone is like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that. I like that movie. Yep. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And but they, here's, they here, sure. Okay. Here's the thing. The show has made fans out of bad movies. I have seen yeah. Mitchell so many goddamn. It, it's my times. Thanksgiving tradition. My only you, one to watch Mitchell. Do you know? But there's Mitch. all these films which I get pleasure from watching, which I would have never watched two minutes of. Yeah. With yes. MST. How would we have watched two failed pilots for Jodan Baker's Mitchell <laughs> any other way? <laughs> any other way? Yeah, it, it's beautiful, and I love the that that simple way that Joel puts it. Like the right people will get it because there's too many jokes to obsess over. Everyone getting everything. I always like to say I went through a phase of reading Kurt Vonnegut. Two, there are two Kurt Vonnegut jokes from Kevin Murphy per episode. You will get that. The more I would learn about history, I'd learn more about this. I'm reading Lord of the Rings. Mike's the Lord of the Rings. Every you feel very satisfied when you're experiencing some avenue of pop culture and mystery science theater acknowledges that. And it still works like that. Cause I just watched the new episode, the Halloween episode the other day. It's still, it's still goddamn amazing. And here's what, and it's high into today. What I think is amazing. <laughs> yeah. The narrator of this documentary, we'll see if you can recognize his voice. Of ceremonies for this fascinating in-depth look at a true cable cast phenomenon. I refer, of course, to mystery science theater 3000. So it, when I was little, <laughs> when I was little, Penn Jillette was the voice of... I knew him before I knew he was a magician. I knew him as the voice of Comedy Central. Up next, it's the kids in the hall. <laughs> yep. You're watching Comedy Central. Like that, That's what I knew his voice from. And it, absolutely fabulous. I associate with him. Up next, Patty and Adina. Ah, fab. Like I associate his voice with the entire channel. And here he is hosting a thing on this. I don't know when they did this. And if you don't follow MST3K on Instagram... Pendulet is back to do promos. I did not know that. Yes. So like go to their Instagram right now. The last three movies he, he introduces this Halloween, get your 3d glasses ready for the mask on mystery science theater. 3000 30 years later. Yeah. Pen is how I first learned about my favorite show. The giant Gila month can, can off the top of your head. Can you think of the most obscure MST 3k reference that you got? Uh, oh. I, uh, again, it was, I it was, one. I, I forget yeah. Kevin Murphy made it, but like I got really deep into Kurt Vonnegut and I read the transcription of his like failed play and mm. something happened on screen and he just goes, happy birthday, Wanda June. I'm like, nobody is going to get that. Holy yep. shit. 
holy shit. Like, I, I just read that. How is anybody going to get that? There is a reference to a scene from uh, Start the Revolution Without Me, which is a twin swappy movie from the late 60s, early 70s with Gene Wilder and Donald Sutherland that basically no one has seen. In Day the Earth Froze, there is a joke where <laughs> yes. they say something about uh, monarchs going crazy and they say, I thought it was a costume ball. That's wow. a fucking obscure joke, dude. But I remember when we were watching that live, we like my whole family, because we've seen that movie and we love it. It's just like we exploded. Right. Like, it's not possible. Okay. This is dark. Ooh. The oh, no. most obscure reference that I remember getting was there was a short, I think it was like a date with your family. Teenage boy opens up the oven and to smell what's inside. <laughs> and Mike or Crow or someone yells out, Sylvia? And oh, wow. Reference to <laughs> Sylvia Plath, the poet who committed suicide by sticking her head in the oven. <laughs> that is dark, Chair. But yeah, it, it, to it, I didn't. To its credit, like, I'm a little kid watching this stuff, and I, I always love saying, like, I don't know every My Three Sons reference, but I know that's what that is. It doesn't always. And now I watch it, my two favorite riffs in the modern era, just because it's like that movie Avalanche. Someone skis by with a, a red and blue suit, and he just goes, nothing at all. And, like, <laughs> I know everyone of a certain age is going to get that. And then. The first episode of the new season, which you can only find in their app, very frustrating. I think, JR, the reason partially people are not that upset because it's very hard to watch the new season. I can't watch it on my own television oh, right now. I, 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 I got it to work on mine. I was a backer, so... Yeah, I, I guarantee I backed more than you did. But because my TV <laughs> doesn't have like a Roku or Apple device, I have no means of watching anywhere but my phone or iPad, which makes a 3D movie useless. But that first episode, that 70s Samson versus the vampire movie in a stuffy, <laughs> mutton-chopped 17th century Mexican guy just runs downstairs out of breath, and they just go, <laughs> ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you... I was playing Dark Souls. You know, you can't pause Dark Souls and like just <laughs> do do a little like a millennial golf clap. Yes, I understood that reference. Always will. Uh, yeah. Geez, this discussion makes me want to do a big uh, Turkey Day binge this year. Oh hell's yeah! They yeah. announced it's happening again, and I, I when I re this is shouldn't even be in this episode. When I rewatched the stream, they're like, and we're announcing we're doing new Turkey Day, and then there's a cut in the middle of the announcement, like he may have revealed something too soon. Uh -huh. I'm dying to know. What is happening during this week's this this month's Turkey Day? But something is anyway. Let's right. keep it all going. This is this is a huge deal. Dateline NBC aired a demonstration that showed a General Motors truck blowing up on impact. Trucks, multiple trucks. It was later revealed that NBC rigged the test. Mm. And this was a huge deal. Of course, this was yeah. one of those like ethics in journalism that is a real ethics in journalism type mm -hmm. thing. Um, and we learned about this. In my ethics in journalism class. <laughs> what did they say in your class? Did they say, yeah, they were fine. That's perfectly all right. Yeah, basically they said, and then they handed us all like a carton of cigarettes <laughs> and our membership card in the Illuminati. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Can we play NBC kind of having to say what they did? Because I Whoa, I, I don't know that I've heard their apology. NBC's contractor did put incendiary devices under the trucks to ensure that there would be a fire if gasoline were released from the truck's gas tank. We said the crash, quote, forced gasoline to spew from the fuel cap, end quote. 
GM says since the gas cap was the wrong cap for the GM filler tube, and because the gas tank was overfilled, the cap came off when the impact occurred. We agree with GM that we should have told our viewers about these devices. The Dateline reporter, however, said, quote, at impact, a small hole was punctured in the tank, unquote. GM has now x-rayed that tank and found no hole. We acknowledge the placing of the incendiary devices under the truck was a bad idea from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like, uh, I didn't realize I was alive for a major network, that thing I always talk about with Walt Disney going to film the Lemmings, like, hey, they're not jumping off the cliffs. I'm calling up Walt. Throw them off! And they throw them off the cliffs and perpetuate this myth that Lemmings killed themselves, which they never did, and they make a whole series of British games out of it. That happened while we were alive with Dateline NBC. Yep, oh. these cars explode on impact. However, it's hard to feel bad for General Motors. <laughs> yeah, but we couldn't make it happen, so we figured out a way to illustrate what we were talking about without telling anyone we rigged this to make sure it happened. There is no reenactment flashing on screen. They're acting like oh yeah you just hit them and they just blow up has nothing to do with the c4 we put under <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah they if you can't recreate something you're not reporting on it sorry yeah, bro you should have had uh, these and these these new specials were so profitable like i can't believe just go with something else like you you, you don't have to air this right away you just yeah, go with something else just don't air it with the explosion yeah. just talk about it yeah we couldn't reproduce the alleged explosions yeah. like I don't, I don't, it, again, Dateline is usually more reputable than this. I don't know why they were doing it. And it, it opens up the question of what else did they, you know, yeah. what else have they done this with? Six Annual Kids Choice Awards airs this week. It's live for the first time on uh, Nick, hosted by everyone's favorite uh, on screen couple, <laughs> Brian Austin Green and Tori Spelling. <laughs> and Holly Ooh, Robinson, and Hol whoever she is. And Holly Robinson, before she was Holly Robinson Pete. Yes. Uh, I have a problem with some of these categories. Favorite movie is The Addams Family. That wins. Beating My Girl and Boys in the Hood. Yeah, kids Children, love Boys in the Hood. <laughs> don't watch Boys in the Hood when you're on that. I, I was in the demographic right now watching a lot of Nickelodeon and Boys in the Hood. Just saying. They were very much what I was watching into right now. So it looks like the entire boys cast from Home Improvement got slimed in this episode. Mm. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Zachary Ty Bryan, and Taryn Noah Smith all got slimed. Ah. Lucky. They were all wearing white t-shirts, too. I'm not kidding when I say as a young kid, it was my dream to be slimed. You can make that happen. Cool. <laughs> I'm sure kids would love to throw anything I ship to you on top. <laughs> I go for you. And then uh, also this week, oh boy, uh, Batman the Animated Series. What's this episode called? Uh, so I had to put oh. two episodes. Yeah. Uh, because the first one is Almost Got Him. This is such a fabulous episode because all it is is a bunch of bad guys sitting around playing poker together, trading stories about how they almost got Batman. None of them have killed the Batman, but they've all come close. And so the Joker's his elaborate scheme, the Penguin's his mastermind, Catwoman seductress, whatever. And then Killer Croc tells his story on how he almost got Batman. Anyone else want to go? <laughs> there I was, holed up in this quarry. When Batman came nosing around, he was getting closer, closer. And? I threw a rock at him. <laughs> the clip is still playing and they're all looking at him. <laughs> so, Harvey. <laughs> uh, and then, what, 
but then at the I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. If you haven't seen this episode, there is a great twist that actually makes it worth rewatching multiple times on it. Mm. But it's it's one of the best episodes. The next episode of Batman, the animated series I want to bring up is Christmas with the, the Joker. Surreal. The only reason I want to bring this up is as far as I can tell, this is the first appearance in media of that Batman version of Jingle Bells. Well, other than Bart Simpson. Other than Bart. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh. Yeah. Did Bart beat this? It's the first I episode of The Simpsons. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. But it, it's just fascinating to me that this it, thing... that, 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 that Mark Hamill sings it, though. Like, yes. That's what's absolutely wonderful about it. Yeah. Jingle Bells, Batman smells, Robin <laughs> laid an egg. The Batmobile lost its wheel and the Joker got away. And he sings it while riding away on a rocket ship Christmas tree. It's just, it's absolutely (laughs) wonderful. Next to, I think, in that Bizarro book, Patton Oswalt, I can say wrote in sort of air quotes. It's just a comic book representation of the lyrics of that song. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is really fun to look at. I have a really dumb question What's that? before we leave the uh, Batman smells. Does anyone else heard the Vicky Vale variant? I yes, there yes, I have oh, heard. There's a different. Oh, I have. We never sang Vicky it. Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale broke a nail instead yeah. of Batmobile lost a wheel. Yeah, I've never heard it. But there aren't like whole other verses. There's just a different line. Yeah, and it's not like this is like a regional thing anybody came up with. I never heard it till Bart Simpson did it. No, yeah, I heard it as a little 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 kid. I think I heard it before Bart Simpson, but I was a huge comic guy. I mean, I I we I know the Simpsons didn't write it, but I wasn't very cool enough to have heard the song before I was before I was eight or nine. You um, have to be quite cool to be into comics, Chris. You got to be in the right Usenet groups, club. <laughs> the right Mystery Science Theater 2000 conventions. I wish I was, uh, but I, I vaguely remember getting bored with the Jacksons, an American dream. I literally only remember all the kids throwing water balloons off a fire escape, and I just like I want to do that so bad. Not a, not the best takeaway for a uh, like you. I don't know, like a much talked about Terrence Howard, Colin Steele, Jason Weaver, Riley Draper, Vanessa Williams, Billy D. Williams, Margaret Avery, uh, Robinson, Pete, uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, uh, Angela Bassett, and Lawrence Hilton uh, Jacobs. Story of a bad dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is interesting. Uh, it was very popular. You know, it's a, it's a mini series, like five hours long. VH1 used to run this and yeah. run this and run this, and it's produced by Jermaine, and it's based on the book by their mom. So there's still a lot of warts missing, but as like a depiction of like how hard these fucking kids were pushed and how hard they worked like oh i mean they got that part right i guess and i mean they got all the dance moves and the little the little kid playing little michael jackson is like god damn working so hard but oh my god this is still so papered over Mm. but it's good but it's like not (laughs) there needs to be a modern series on the jackson family you know Mm. full-on 12 episodes Mm. that's gonna be tough man i'm not saying it wouldn't be tough (laughs) but it's a it's a hell of a story video games this week big week for pc games uh quest for glory 3 wages of war probably the biggest game ever star control 2 for pc Star Control 2 regularly makes the top games of all time list. This is considered an amazing game for 1992. It's called the best Star Trek game that is never made. The basic plot is you're on a long distance research mission for Earth, far off in the edge of the galaxy. 
when you return, the entire earth has been enslaved. You're the earth's only hope to go out there and find enough material to liberate the earth because everyone else is trapped and enslaved. So at that point, you go off and you explore other alien races. And these are alien aliens. You know, in TV shows, it's like we are aliens because we have a bump here or a bump here. But these are <laughs> utterly alien looking creatures, which I get TV budgets and movie budgets, why you do that. Video games should have more alien aliens. They have different ideas. They have different beliefs. And for a 1992 game, it really explores those. There's a ton of story. To give you an idea of how popular this game is, there was a mod made this year for this 30-year-old oh. game. Wow. Okay. There's strategy. There's text. The only bad thing is combat in this game is like player versus player asteroids. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's <laughs> that's as that's as complex as combat gets in this game. But, but it was like Street Fighter with 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 spaceships, and yeah. there weren't a lot of. And I don't I don't know how it happened, but like whatever middle school I was at, someone had basically infected the entire school with a shareware version of this game, and so for like months. Everybody was fucking playing this in shop class and in, uh, in home ec. It was weird. Yep. It's I uh, I played it for the very first time. I have no nostalgia for this game. There's seeds of greatness in here. I don't have time to get into it, but mm -hmm. I kind of wish I did because I could see how this could be a very great game in 1992. And I, I wish the best of luck to someone to update it because I think there's a lot, yeah, a lot of potential here. Almost everybody I know is, has some awareness of this game, especially through what I said. Like it was played in your school. It was like that in mm -hmm. Cubert for us. Oregon Trail and Cubert and Star Control too. Maybe some Wolfenstein. <laughs> Wizardry Seven: Crusaders of the Dark Savant. Never heard of the series. Well, I've heard of the series, but. Didn't know it made it to seven in 1992. Man, firing our wad a little fast, are we? Seven entries into the 90s. And then Rex Nebula and the Cosmic Gender Bender. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a point and click adventure series and it's not as bad as you think it would be with that title um <laughs> oh, segment uh went so what's the book jr because it's your Discworld guy okay yeah didn't you so just talk this... about just Discworld 25 27 was the greatest how we many Discworld about... joe how many Discworld books are there and do we have to talk about all of them okay there are i think 35 Discworld books <laughs> world series let me just look at 41, it 41 41 41 okay 41 oh, okay i'm just bringing this up it's it's a coincidence that the one in a different decade i mean he's been publishing them in the 90s in the 2000s in the 2010s it's just a coincidence yeah that's a good point this is Lords and Ladies, and this is about Granny Weatherwax, Nanny Og. It is <laughs> should send really, out thirty twenty ten cane. Okay, all right. <laughs> it is really super unusual to have old ladies be your protagonist, and he has done it for six novels in an incredibly popular fantasy series. So good on you, Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Mm. And then it's about witches who are like grumpy and do the right thing, but are angry that they have to do the right thing. Oh, respect. <laughs> Moving into music. I love this. new. We talked about this somewhere else. I feel like Diana even brought it up, but the, I think I brought it up the great, I wanted to find out what was the date that the New York times published this article the, that embarrassed themselves so badly. I mean, in their defense, 
I, I don't know. Maybe the, you you worked in journalism. Maybe that they should. They're the New York Times. You should have asked more than one person about what this yeah. the Seattle subculture of the grunge scene, what their grunge speak is. But Megan Jasper of Sub Pop and Caroline Records, tongue in cheekly delivers an explanation of grunge that does not exist to the New York Times, thus creating a hoax on how these new teens are talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that you want to say if you are not a lame stain, you know, but like, you know, you and your friends are swinging on the flippity flop, but not with the Tom Tom Club. Okay. But I mean, there is one lasting thing out of it, the term harsh realm. <laughs> that's, that's why you brought it up. We were talking about the debut of Lance Henriksen's harsh realm. <laughs> exactly. That's harsh realm became the title of a comic book series. That became uh, the TV just show. imagine Leslie Nielsen using all these words. It's just, it'll make it even more fun for you. Uh, that guy is such a cob nobbler. <laughs> it's a stone cold gas, my friend. New releases this week include back in denim by Denim? What? <laughs> we got to look into denim during the break. Uh, Pure Guava by Ween, uh, Jade, to, uh, Jade to the Max by Jade. I've Suffered a head, head Injury by The Verb Pipe, The Predator by Ice Cube. Ooh, there's a biggie. And perhaps one of the biggest soundtracks of all time. The single biggest it, is soundtrack. It, I, I believe I remember it being in the top 20 time. albums of all time. It is in, the, I think, that's still in the top 20 albums of all time. The Bodyguard by soundtrack. Far, by far the biggest soundtrack of all time. And uh, can't do it. The voice oh, is still too fucked. We'll get there. Mm. But finally, I think the big news is end of the road after 13 weeks at number one is finally knocked off. It will be off for two, count them, two weeks, and then the bodyguard soundtrack will just take over everything. Yeah. And, ah, you know, I love talking about this band, a band there that does is. not exist. They might as well be called the Chipmunks. Finally knocking uh, End of the Road by Boys to Men off of number one is The Heights, How Do You Talk to an Angel? Which, to remind you, <laughs> is it not a real band, is studio musicians making a song for a show about a fake band from the yeah. producers of 90210, The Heights. That's what the show was called. Lasted one season. The song is still played on light radio today. Its its legacy is pretty astonishing. The band members do not exist. Like the people you <laughs> see in the music video might not even know how to play that instrument. They are the monkeys of my generation. People barely care, but it fascinates me. So you want to close out with uh, the, the, the breathy, raspy, how do you talk to an angel? <laughs> You've heard it, people, whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. Again. Absolutely. I think it's such an interesting historical footnote. Right. Think to yourself, <laughs> this is not a real song. You are listening yeah. to the beats. You are listening to. <laughs> yeah. And the, the fact that it's sandwiched between end of the road, 13 weeks at number one and Spoiler alert, I Will Always Love You, which is at number one for like 14 weeks. So yeah. that's like half the year, more than half the year for those two songs with this little, little break in between of a band that doesn't exist. <laughs> this should have won an award, but who would you even give it to? If, we just had the Millie Vanilli controversy. But yeah, stay right there. We have a lot more fun to talk about in 2002, including Harry Potter. So stay right there. How do you talk? To an angel How do you hold it close To where you
Coming into 2002 with Hurt by Johnny Cash off of America, uh, American 4, uh, The Man Comes Around. Very, Ugh. very odd sentence to say this song from the 90s by this guy from the 50s. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say Johnny Cash didn't kind of... I, I like the Nine Nails version more, but this video is like way more moving Johnny Cash talking about being hurt like this. We're going from the fakest song in the world to the realest song in the world. Ugh, I don't... Oh, my God. This, I love this period of Johnny Cash where he just sings every song he can get his little paws on. Him and Rick Rubin are just going through. He also covers Personal Jesus on this album. You know, he also did uh, Rusted Cage. Like, he, he does these, you know, obscure Christian songs. It, it's so, so good. But I, I, this, I... this video blindsided me. I yep. was watching something on, like, Bravo. Mm-hmm. And whatever it was, it came in two minutes short. So they just ran this video. It's like three in the morning because I was working swing shift back then. It's three in the morning. I don't know what's coming. It, in three minutes flat, I am sobbing on my couch. Yes. First of all, I haven't seen because it wasn't even 10 years between the original and this cover. So that Mm-mm. felt odd. And how much this overshadowed. I think the last time I even heard it in popular culture was on Rick and Morty season two. They played the Nine Inch Nails Hurts. But. The lyrics don't change, but it redefines relatable depression into a man reflecting on his life before he dies. That's how the video recontextualizes the song. This is the genius of covers. This is how you take a song and make it something different. There's a lot of covers out there where it's like, okay, yeah, (laughs) you gave me nothing new. This gives you so much new, and I will go to bat for Johnny Cash as an amazing artist who is always willing to take risk, who is always willing to try new things. I cannot think of an artist today who would do something like this. Can you? Trying to, but it's tough. I know Scarlett Johansson has an album full of Tom Waits covers. I find that to be pretty ballsy, but other than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But no, it's it's so moving because of, yeah, it's just stripped down to the basics of, you know, a song about, addiction and hurting the people around you and that's something johnny cash knows about mm-hmm. so yeah you see how he would relate to this and i see when people talk about the best covers of all time this one tends to come up along with the whitney houston song that we just talked about yep yep there. Uh, i rarely have this much to say about music but this is one of those weeks new releases and inc- also out uh what is it november 11th through the 17th 2002 include corporate america by boston boston has a moving yes. on of one <laughs> A wonderful. I'm wondering. Boston can't have an album out in 2002. Moving on. A wonderful world by Tony Bennett uh, and, and Katie Lang is also out this week. My word. See, you're, the holiday season. Something for everybody in the stocking. The guests by Phantom Planets, an underrated MST3K episode. Have you fed the fish by Badly Drawn Boy? Justin Timberlake's solo debut. Justified. A there we huge go. album. Uh, the morning after by Deborah Cox. Uh, Red Letter Days by The Wallflowers. Still Ghetto by Jaheem. Uh, Tallahassee by The Mountain Goats. There's not a lot named after my hometown, but not saying you got to buy this album. The song No Children is among Sarah and I's favorite, just because the chorus, I hope, we, I hope I die, I hope we both die. And it became famous somehow because TikTok came up with a dance to it about a year ago. One of the most depressing songs ever. And it got, it got a whole new life. So good on Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats. Listen to No Children. Self, self-titled by Trapped. One of the first bands to be booted off of social media for right-wing flobbity fluke. Uh, and The Wraith, Shangri-La by Insane Clown Posse. Once again, 
the oddest allies one can have during the resistance period we're in right now. Way to go, ICP. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Lose yourself by Eminem is still number one, uh, as we talked about last week with the debut of the movie Eight Mile. 2002, newsishness. Oh, uh, no. Taylor, just for you, Chris. Uh, there you go. This will be the first time this news is read by somebody with SARS in their nose. The first case of SARS is recorded uh, in Foshan, Foshan City, Guangdong Province, China. I said that all correctly. We'll not try again. Though it is not identified until much later. First patient uh, is thought to be a farmer in the city. The outbreak lasts about eight months and results in 774 deaths. Seems pretty quaint now by modern SARS yeah. standards. And that, that disease, which is called sars Cove mm-hmm. one realizes I don't spread fast enough. I really got to work on me. Maybe I should try mutating. <laughs> I'm going to like move this over here. I'm going to try that over there. Then I'm going to lay low for like 18 years or so. And 6.6 million people are dead on this planet now from yeah. basically what starts here. I didn't know. This is dumb. A dumb anecdote. Uh, I, I didn't know. I, I forgot about the connection between SARS and COVID until <laughs> you somehow are here and didn't listen to the first segment. I caught COVID last week. I was recording with COVID. We were remote. It was fine. Um, yep. uh, I was good. recording with COVID. Me and JR are still all stars. Yeah. We yep. still, we're still COVID star, free. Non-COVID yep. people. Hey, man, yeah. Two and a half years. I thought I did. I had a good run. Did. But did. we're having a shortage on tests now. And I had to take <sighs> one of these super basic tests where have you taken a test that's just the strip? Like it gets oh, rid of no. the casing. It's a, it's like a stripped down punk rock version of a COVID test. And all over the strip is all these SARS copyrights. You, I couldn't see in the, the test with casing. And I was like, oh yeah, this all began. We used to call this just SARS. Or I forget exactly what the truth. JR, you know more about this stuff than I do. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is actually a textbook example of how to handle this. They ah. began clamping down really quickly really well that doesn't mean that would have worked later on but they didn't really do as well later on as they did with this yes mm-hmm. and it also should be noted to vaccine skeptics quoting things like there's no way they can come up with a vaccine that fast this is covid 01 doesn't yeah. mean it's the first covid this is how long they, they've been working on vaccines for such a thing should it arrive very true they were working on this for a long time but then there were also a number of technological breakthroughs that have really changed the way we make vaccines over the last five years technology advances yo yeah we can analyze the genes in a way we couldn't 10 years ago let alone 20 years ago and this is making some amazing breakthroughs in vaccine it is utterly possible we're going to get a working AIDS vaccine in a couple of years. That's yeah. world changing. Okay. Yeah. Technology yeah. advances, including that that makes uh, vaccines. But it is not advanced so far to make nanobots that you can program to control people and then manufacture them at scale and give them out for free. Bill Gates there are no nanobots. trying to, trying trying to copy my Candy Crush data. Uh, I if, wish there were nanobots. I have so much shit in me that I want fixed. I know. I just want, I want to sit those anti-vax people down by the shoulders like, hey. I'm sure you have plenty of reasons you don't want to take the vaccine, but you got to take out this happened too fast as one of them because you're wrong. Mm. It's been happening for this thing has been around a long time. You're the one just hearing about it. I'm, I'm just going to point out if you have nanobots that can mind control people, <laughs> uh, you don't actually need to spread it through COVID yeah. uh, vaccines. Yeah. You can just use the nanobots to control people yeah. and then use those people who you are con- controlled 
to spread the nanobots to more people. Yeah. If you've got nanobots that do mind control, you've already won and we've already <laughs> lost. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying you guys sound silly. Tell a silly friend this Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, and then also out in the news this week, Ar- Argentina defaults uh, on an, $805 million uh, World Bank payment. So um, this was really big at the time. Uh, we're 2002, so we're not great recession territory. But keep in mind, we're past the dot-com bubble. Things are a little dicey. People are worried post 9-11. Argentina is proof that just because you're first world doesn't mean you'll stay there forever. A mm. hundred years ago, Argentina was richer than Germany. Fuck. And that is not the case. They had a pretty bad 20th century and uh, they're poorer than Chile today. To be fair, Germany didn't have a very good 20th century. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, But let me put it this way. Germany righted itself in the second half of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Argentina wronged itself in the second half of the 20th century. Mm. And they've never really caught up. Great soccer teams, though. All right, sorry. 2002, man, the movie's out this week. Uh, we got 11901, a collection of short films about a little event yeah. from the previous year. Yeah, which is a very interesting idea. Is is a series of movies that are each 11 minutes, 9 seconds, 1 frame. And there's 11 of them by some pretty amazing directors from, you know, each one representing a different country. So we got Claude Lelouch representing France, Danis Tovich representing Bosnia-Herzegovina, Ken Lowe to the UK, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu for for Mexico, and uh, yeah, representing the US, Sean Penn. (laughs) And representing Japan, Shohei Imamura. I mean, these are some serious fucking directors making a bunch of short films. And some of them are honestly sort of lighthearted or they're about something else. Uh, I think the Chilean one is about like, we had our own 9-11. It's when Pinochet came to power. And that's one of them is kind of like a little romantic short. Uh, The US one is Ernest Borgnine as a guy who lives in the shadow of the towers by himself. And then when the towers fall, he becomes very confused about the daylight coming in. It's they're they're pretty interesting. The Inuritu one though, that's the hard one to watch because that's got the people falling. Mm. Yeah. It seems to have inspired the beginnings or some parts of Fahrenheit 9-11 by a filmmaker whose film is we're gonna talk about now. I yeah, would love to transition hard. to that because the film I was able to stay awake and watch, the film I found emo- most emotionally resonant, the film that made me cry and snot up more than the sickness I had in my body. I can weirdly say Bowling for Columbine held up better 20 years later than almost any movie we'll ever watch, and that's one of the most depressing things I'll ever say because not a fucking thing has changed other than Kmart doesn't sell bullets anymore. Well, you see, this is what I... I found really interesting. This was one I was really looking forward to rewatching, which sounds horrible to say. No, no, me you too. Know, Michael Michael Moore documentary about gun control spinning off of, you know, the Columbine school shooting. And first of all, we've had so fucking many school it's shootings been, since then. Yeah. So many that are worse. But what's fascinating to me about this movie is that it's all pre-internet. The internet yep. never gets mentioned. Yeah. Mm. It's all about the, the fear that we're getting from the nightly news. And if it bleeds, it leads. And, and the politicians are that's, all scaring us. And, and that's why everyone wants to arm up. That's, but that's why I recommend. Misinformation isn't coming from the TV news. It's coming from your uncle on Facebook. For, for, that's why I think the movie is interesting to watch right now. Because I had forgotten that the thesis wasn't gun control. The thesis was 
fear that all these other countries have, let's be honest, better restricted gun programs. Even Charlton Heston is right. He's like, Canada has a ton of guns. He's like, not for long. That's the only thing Charlton Heston was correct about, (laughs) that they would enact stricter gun laws in Canada. But it is depressing that how little we've done in the face of this, you know, annual epidemic of tens of thousands of deaths due to gun violence. And this is a very well done documentary. If I could give you some background, I don't, I think it was just because I like Janine Garofalo, I started watching TV Nation. And my dad's like, you should see Roger and Me. It's a movie made before you're born. Or like when I was one. <laughs> and I and I did. It's from like 1988, 89. Is it? I just, it feels yeah. much older because it's a really ragtag independent movie when you watch it. It's yes. very, very yeah. cheap. And Michael Moore made another movie called The Big One that most people did not see. And he made a show called The Awful Truth on Bravo back when Bravo would <laughs> give a show to anybody who, who doesn't have a... a Woman alter ego. I don't know. That's uh, that sounded like it was shitting on Bravo, but Bravo used to be a different channel. One that gave Michael Moore a show about funny politics, and it's a great show available on DVD. It's wonderful, and nobody liked it. And Michael Moore was not a household name. This is when it starts with this movie mm-hmm. and people angry about guns and not really finding a way to vocalize it. But again, Michael Moore comes. I'm a lifelong NRA member. Other countries have a lot of guns, but what's up with all our fear and racism? Because, you know, other people have different cultures in their society, too. You can't just blame. See, watching people try and blame specifically (laughs) black people is hilarious. Like, we all have access to stats that proves that's not where the gun (laughs) problem is directly coming from. Oh, no, the problem is is violent video games or violent movies. And it's like they have the exact same movies in France. We, we export all our culture, and as we export our culture, violence does not increase to in other places. The quaintness of blaming an <laughs> atheist glam band like Marilyn Manson for causing <laughs> mass shootings. We had no idea what kind of piece of shit Marilyn Manson really was, but it wasn't the type making kids feel the need to cause mass shootings, and nor did he support that. And I, I think he's the first person I remember saying the line, like, if you could talk to the shooters, what would you say to them? He's like, I wouldn't say shit. I would listen to them, and that's what nobody did. And that's become kind of an apology for everybody who says piece of shit things nowadays. I would listen. I, yeah. I, th- I hated how much this movie resonated now. I don't think I've seen that much unbroken footage of Columbine in those descriptions. <sighs> did anybody yeah. else watch it on Tubi? Because it was like in the middle of this girl's... And then he came to my friend and he shot her in the head and he told me I was going to die. To be ad! Play this new billiards uh, this billiards mobile game. Like, good lord, this is horribly timed. It was interesting re-watching it and seeing like it covers a lot of different topics. It's sort yeah. of all over the place. And, and some people thought it was unfocused. And it's like, no, it's kind of covered that like there is no one cause or one solution. or And it, like it's a very diffuse problem yeah. digging into the six-year-old who shot another six-year-old and fig- trying to figure out well, how did that happen? How did that happen? And to dig into like, well, Dick welfare Clark. to work happened. <laughs> yeah. And his mom was poor and she was working two jobs and she has to take a bus out of Flint to the nicer neighborhood where there's the big mall. And so he was left at his uncle's house who had not secured a gun and a fucking first grader shot another first grader. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to make it the larger point of same thing with like Littleton, Colorado arms manufacturers are mm-hmm. there. Like the uh, Lockheed Martin is the largest employer in the area. These people kill people for, for money, and, but and, from the sky. So is that different? And I that's, got confused. Cause interesting I interesting thought. 
Michael, I think Michael Moore's real thesis would come into a later film. I don't want to get all dirtbag left on you, but capitalism is not a nice thing because I think the, the, the <laughs> question he's asking in the film is like, why is America like this? There are all these yeah. factors that exist in other countries, but this does only happen here. And we do, we do live in fear of everyone else more so than most other countries. And why are we so fear prone? And I think that's mm-hmm. good to ask. And under certain aspects of our society, if we're told we can lose everything and not be helped by our government at any given point in time, there is absolutely no security to, to have. There's no way to feel safe uh, with our healthcare system. There's no way to fe- feel safe with our police currently. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't people want to own guns and protect themselves? Yeah, yeah th- but it's it's it's... It's amazing to see something like this go mainstream because this is sort of where my brain was going post 9-11. Why are we like this as Americans? And the, mm. I hate how interesting it still is because of that. And it's just gotten so much worse. They said that there's 11,000 gun deaths in the U.S. Then there's uh, 44,000 now. And more than half of those are suicides. Mm-hmm. That That's the is, other thing no uh, one brings up. That is one thing. Up. The most likely person to die by a gun you purchase is yourself yes yep. and that that's just that's only recently common... overdoing your spouse or other loved one those so, that's yes, the person they're... most likely to die of a gun death i made a reference to the joke in mst3k how a famous poet died by putting her head in an oven and killing herself mm-hmm. that was something that used to be done because ovens were set up in such a way that it was fairly easy to kill yourself this was well known ovens are no longer made that way Mm -hmm. and when they started rolling out ovens which was no longer hey everyone who has an oven in your house you have an easy way to kill yourself and suicide rates plummeted because people are more likely to commit suicide on impulse that's not Mm -hmm. how we think of it we think of suicide as like something that builds up year after year after year and that's certainly true for some people there's a significant amount of people who it's like something sets them off they go down a suicidal spiral and if the convenience of a gun is nearby they will take it but if they have to you know i'm glad i don't have one (laughs) i have to drive 25 miles to the nearest bridge i could drop off Mm. oh it's not worth it i'm not going to commit my suicide today yeah i'm gonna take all of i'll take all of these pills which may or may not work and you have time to be like that was a mistake please i forget who started the i thought it was mimi but then like whatever can give you enough time to think this might make my mommy cry. This might make so the second I get to that thought, I stop thinking about the other thing. But if you have something as instantaneous as a gun next to you and we don't think about it as a mental health risk, I always like to ask yeah. as someone who is I like to be anti-gun because the pro-gun people freak me out and there has to be a counterbalance to that. But every time you buy a gun, you bring a toxic element into this world. It will go somewhere when you're gone. It might get stolen from you. You cannot always control that. And it could end up in the hands of your child or one of their friends and be involved in a suicide or a school shooting. Think about that every time you buy one of these stupid fucking toys that has no statistical rationale for protecting you. It really doesn't. You are better off with alarms, gates, if you're that scared. Also, some of you could be nicer people. I don't get in altercations with anybody. I don't live in the greatest neighborhood. Not a lot of break-ins. If there was... Help help yourself to one TV and get out. How about that? And I'm out a hundred bucks. Like not the end of the world. Yeah. Not the end of the world. Relax, yeah, Americans. And so this is a fascinating film you know to what? watch. There's the one the one group that he never talks to, and I understand why, but mm. you know who likes gun control? The police do. Yes, the police. They would shoot fewer people if they didn't think everyone had a gun. I wish I could say this nicer. How dare you say you back the blue and then push them into a situation every day where they have to treat every American, including me, 
anti-gun as if I'm armed. Having had cops yeah. draw guns on me for no reason, that's because you like these toys so much. They're making the whole world worse. And uh, I, I love watching this now because it, I love Charlton Heston. I hate he lived long enough to become the villain. <sighs> and I used well, to think like I mean, Michael, Michael I think Moore. That's the most controversial part of this not anymore because like, michael moore really, ambushed he, an old man no but michael moore beat up on him because mostly what he was asking why did you come to littleton colorado with the nra after this happened and why would yeah. you show up in flint michigan after the youngest school shooting death a six-year-old is shot by another six-year-old why would you show up a week after why would you do that and i Fuck his excuse. He did not have a good excuse for that. And he, he claimed to not, I don't know why we did that. You know exactly why you did that. To rally the troops around saving your toys in lieu of public health. That's why you did this. Mm. And you and only now have they continued not to do this. And spoiler for the movie, I because I didn't remember this because Kmart's not really around. They bully Kmart out of not selling bullets by trying yeah. to return the bullets left inside the bodies of these Columbine children to the Kmart headquarters. And I and they come down and I think they're going to give some I forgot about it. They you think they're going to give some bullshit response. And they're just like the she's like this decision was clearly just made 4 minutes ago, but we're just going <laughs> to stop selling bullets then try and make this situation PR nightmare better. Happy and yeah, oh, it's such a it's it's a decent ending for a Michael Moore movie that doesn't happen often. And uh, I'm still mad about it. This had the most resonance with me this week. Everything, I was on a bunch of drowsy, anti-congestion, help me breathe yeah. stuff that made me very thirsty. But I, fall, I fell asleep during a lot of stuff in my COVID 30, 2010 research. But not this. I found myself angry and upset in, in ways I, I, I don't think I fully was 20 years ago. And there's not many documentaries that can make you feel that way. And I don't think Michael Moore mm -hmm. has talked about as much of a hero because I think if you saw Fahrenheit 11.9, the sequel to Fahrenheit 9.11, which after this would become, I think, still the most successful documentary of all time, period, money-wise, yeah. Oscars. Yeah. He does win the Oscar for Bowling for Columbine. Uh, this is an Oscar-winning mm -hmm. movie we're talking about, unlike the next one. I don't think with the internet and Twitter... Yes, there's misinformation out there, but there's a lot of people doing Michael Moore's work. But it's important to recognize him doing this early on and for no, not really for profit. It was just something he did as a job. And I've always really liked the guy. And this is uh, all, all of his stuff is apparently free streaming, streaming free on Tubi in uh, the United States. I couldn't find it on Pluto TV, even though Google said it was available there. All these searches are awful, but I recommend <laughs> uh, of all the movies this week, this is the one I recommend checking out Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. Anyway. Half Past uh, Dead with Steven Seagal and Ja Rule yeah, is also out. Fucking disaster. Well, well, here we are at the end of the Steven Seagal mainstream career. Is it really? This is his yeah. last wide release film. Mm -hmm. Ten mm -hmm. years after Die Hard on a Boat. Under he's siege. on mm -hmm. Alcatraz, which has been reopened and is also where the Alcatraz on a boat. Chamber Here's is. what they did. Mm -hmm. They watched The Rock. Ah. And they said, what if we remake this, but we make it suck? <laughs> what if we remade this, but made it terrible and cheap? And that's 100% the film you get. Did you like The Rock? Yeah, it's a good movie. Then you'll love a bad version of it. Yeah, and like Steven Seagal, my God, the bloat is going on. And he's only being shot from, you know, the shoulders up to try to hide it. And. Like, is he, is he still refusing to wear anything but a kimono? I remember, yeah. like, as his career got worse, he had to lose that thing in his contract. Like, come on, like, Morris Chestnut Nia Peoples, like, like you, <laughs> you deserve better than this. Also corrupt. It's really dumb. He's the guy who it's... screams Snoop Dogg and uh, <laughs> uh, what's that Still Dre song? I forget. It's from mm. the Chronic. 
2001. And then, the, of course, far and away but, the biggest movie. Yeah, there's no competition because yeah. everyone knows they're about to get hit by um, a magical train. <laughs> or a flying Or a flying, angle. yes, yeah. a flying antique car. They get they get there differently. Warwick Davis, Julie Waters, Fiona Shaw, Richard Griffiths, Jason Isaacs, Alan Rickman, Kenneth Branagh, Tom Felton, John Cleese, Robbie Coltrane, Maggie Smith, Richard Harris, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant, and Danny Radcliffe. <gasps> In number one of the box office this week, it's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. On November 15th, there's some wizards who think they're better than everyone else. Scared Potter, you win. When you stand by your friends, eat slugs. You okay, Ron? And stand up for what you believe in. Harry Potter must go home. Nothing can stand in your way. Let's go! It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, rated PG. Second Harry oh. Potter, solidifying the f- the phenomenon as a film, a series. So yes, mm-hmm. this was an important film in the series because the first one was a success. Mm-hmm. All right, does that mean they're going to keep making these forever? Right. Hell no. Didn't JR this just is... talk about the 35th Discworld? It's no guarantee <laughs> you'll survive in another medium. No, mm-hmm. no. Uh, the Discworld has had a bunch of adaptions of it, and they've all failed it hasn't mm-hmm. translated well to the screen yeah even though it's one of the most longest lasting fantasy series of all time so the first harry potter could have absolutely been a fluke if they would have just like utterly biffed this one there would have been no more harry potter that would have ended the series but they pull it off i think sticking with chris columbus for two movies was the wise call jettison him after that 100 percent. you don't need him he has his own style I don't think it would have worked as good for the rest of the films, but to kind of ease into the world because this one does a fair amount of world building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter one, we're much more just observing. It was Hogwarts building. Mm-hmm. Hogwarts yeah. building. Mm-hmm. And now it, we're world building. We're mm-hmm. like, there's a wider world. You need to know more. We, we already know what Hogwarts is. So we've got that scaffolding. Let's get some more so we can get bigger and bigger. And that exponential growth of plots of characters of locations is continuing this film which goes all the way up into the final one and they pull it off you know everything you want in harry potter is here this is two hours and 41 minutes yeah that is a long (laughs) children's film yep (laughs) that is like that is practically school like if you remove the bells and recess and lunch that is a day of school for children I remember them talking about, like, are these movies going to keep getting longer? Because, like, even, I mean, the year before we had the first Lord of the Rings movie clocking Mm -hmm. in three hours, and people were like, can people take movies this long? And, of course, they are. People are strong. I would like if we brought back intermissions once you crack 315. Thank you. But Since everything's a franchise now, I think that is kind of the hallmark of most movies I end up seeing, is that they're all almost three hours. Black Panther will be. uh, Spider-Man will be. Black Adam was. All the Harry Potters were. But it is. I don't think the movies get longer than this, actually. No. No, I don't think. I don't think any Harry Potter ever cracks three hours. And and it, as as the books get monumentally bigger, but all oh yeah, all uh, 
Rawlings political stuff about you never see the prime minister lion fella you never you don't really get any Rita Skeeter Fox News horse shit it which I think is interesting in the books but very reflective of the time it was written yeah that rightly gets excised for these children's movies I feel like we're still at the point where they haven't fully pared down what is cinematic and what we need to put in because mm-hmm. the book readers are going to be mad if we don't and these are mostly well, done by Steve Cloves uh, yeah also direct, who also adapted Wonder Boys and did uh, Fabulous Baker Boys but he he's it's been a consistent writer this whole time and i think he ends up doing a great job this is an improvement for me because i did not like that first harry potter movie Mm -hmm. when it came out and then i tried it again 20 years later and i still fucking thought it was bad just bad just just this isn't a movie it's a book on tape and this one's like okay we're getting there it's getting more cinematic mm-hmm. they're they're still having to do a bunch of exposition but there's more plot going on they're not just sort of sitting around going wow a lot you know they're actually moving everyone forward a bit instead of just like let's just set the table everyone isn't it lovely here's my defense book one when it was turned into a movie they didn't know how the series was going to end they didn't know what they needed to leave in Uh, as the series progressed they had more and more ideas of okay this is going to be important later on right because only the third or fourth the third or fourth book is out right now because this, this went really fast. I, I only remember that because I read Azkaban before the movie came out. And at that time, th- sorry, the first movie, that was the last book out. It wasn't a George R. R. Martin situation where he, <laughs> the movies were like getting to be ahead of the books. That never happened. So at this point, four books had been published. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. Uh, no, no, but it's, it's still a lot. And like that's why mm-hmm. I think my big takeaway, I fell asleep trying to watch this again, was Dobby, <laughs> which which isn't a character I particularly like his characterization of. But like JR said, in terms of world building, like here are your slaves. <laughs> um, yeah, wizards. Like, I'm sorry, this is all built on slavery? Yeah, 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 yes it you is. You want me to care about these characters? <laughs> God and, damn it. And they don't, they don't like hit you over the head with it in the movie, but they sort of, they don't not say it either and dobby i think is a fun character and it's about one of the more fun things introduced in this movie that went over great considering jr and i's favorite fantasy cg character hasn't been seen yet nope next month coming up real soon yeah also i'm i'm bummed that i know last week you were talking about chris like Mm. harry potter trying to become the official franchise of uh, halloween and it not yeah. working out i feel bad that we're past if you need a cheap costume for a dog especially if you have a dog with sticky out ears yeah just, yeah put a sock around his neck and say it's dobby it's he's dobby. a free he's free okay dobby isn't the best character in this film series i think we all agree right but he could have easily been a jar jar they yeah. could have just thrown him up against the wall and have it just splatter and have him be just god damn it not not, not dobby, dobby again, again. Yeah. i mean that could have happened instead he remains hurt and pathetic not like mm-hmm. kinetic he's he's kind of saves the day when you're not thinking about him that very opposed to jar jar who is only yeah. getting in the way of saving the day of everything yeah he does. that's true every time i see dobby i'm like are you okay <laughs> yes <laughs> you need, is he okay? have you been fed are you not feeding this this house elf you look okay are you okay and, yes, and, and, be, and like Jairus, I forgot about how hugely important he'll become because mm-hmm. we don't know anything about him yet or where or where this is going or the politics of the, the wizarding universe. But in this film, he gets a great scene where Draco Malfoy's dad gives him, gives Dobby a sock and Dobby becomes a free elf. And who oh boy, did they get the perfect actor for Draco Malfoy's dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is just Jason such... Isaacs is the best at this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
And that's that's the other thing. There should be a special retroactive Oscar for the casting of the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Because so many of these roles, the kids grow into them. I mean, they they work. They work for an entire decade worth of filming. Isn't that nuts? And these people people grow into these roles. Because I read I read all these books and I I there's nobody I would recast. Nobody. Yeah. Maybe Uh Hugh Grant, I think, was really up for the this role of Gilderoy Lockhart that Kenneth Branagh got. Hmm. And he's one of the few, he's one of the few characters (laughs) who doesn't die and doesn't appear in the movies again, even though you do hear from him in the books. He is, I think in the same mental asylum that Neville's parents are. And again, (laughs) these are fascinating parts about the Harry Potter universe. You might not know if you just saw the movies, but, but most of these other characters appear or die or you hear from them again. Not, not this villain. Uh, oh, spoiler, he's the dark arts villain teacher. You you know how the movies work at this point. Well, I mean, he's not so much bad as stupid. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But, he, but yeah, yeah, he's just really, really stupid. I, I still, I haven't read the books, but I, someone told me that like the defense of the dark arts teacher position is cursed because it is. like mm-hmm. Voldemort wanted it real bad or something. Well, it's also a plot contrivance for the book to have each defense against the dark arts have something bad happen to them. It makes good drama. I I don't know the lore enough to know if Voldemort actually cursed it or not, but every defense against the dark arts teacher in the series has something bad happen. I didn't hear the term quarrel mort until like two weeks ago from my (laughs) girl's daughter, which, by the way, I did a uh, informal poll. On my children, uh, my friend's children, age ten to seventeen, who are all there's, I, I have nothing to say about this positive or negative. Are way more steeped in the Harry Potter movies than I think we could be. And I asked them which one was your least favorite, and I, I sort of pushed them and maybe put some bias in there, but they did all say this one. But I think that's been kind of the general feelings of of people on the internet for so long because i didn't get to rewatch this or like totally reappraise this i've seen it twice i don't care for it it was more of the stuff i didn't like in the first one and once the third one came along i felt like there was no reason to look back on this as anything worth emulating for the rest of the series yeah yeah Mm -hmm. again chris columbus was great for directing the first two Mm -hmm. but his time came to an end i'm really glad they replaced him yeah Um, yeah yeah i just I feel like if you were going to start the series, you, you might as well, you could start here and you'd be fine. Anyway, kind of cracks me up the idea because I remember hearing that like, oh, Voldemort cor- cursed it, the position because he wanted it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, shouldn't he have cursed it because that leaves everyone vulnerable to his dark arts? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that pretty, works. pretty funny. It's like, I'm the best boxer in this world. And so I'm going to ban the teaching of boxing. Now you guys are <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I like that theory better. That I love one. this theory. An adorable kid from Love Actually plays Colin Creevy. He never comes back after this. Um, but again, ski- talking of scaffolding, this is when we learn that Voldemort is the eternal big bad. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the first one, okay, you banish Voldemort. In this one, you have this Tom Riddle character who, big mystery, you don't know him. And then it's revealed, oh, you're Voldemort, yeah. and Voldemort is going to be the big, big bad that's going to continue forever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and technically it's got the first Horcrux, and it's destruction. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I figure if, if you're going to run the series, you might as well just start here. The first instance of Postle Tongue. See, that's what I would disagree. Well, I only disagree because, like, you can't skip this movie. It might be my least favorite personally, but it's you cannot mm -hmm. skip it if you want to get, if you want to love the series. You cannot skip this movie. I, I don't think you can skip the first either. I think you, I wouldn't oh, recommend I it. I, I don't think there's a need to skip the first, but my daughter loves the books. Mm -hmm. She listens to them almost every day. Movies, she's watched each one one time. Wow. My kids don't like to rewatch stuff. I, it's just the world they live the, in. The narrator so for the Harry Potter that. audiobook is Jim, what, Jim Dale. He is the mm -hmm. uh, snake oil salesman in Peach Dragon. Has them oh, a yeah, He reads all, he, he's great at it. Does all of them. He is a fantastic audiobook reader. Mm -hmm. uh, hats off to him. He does an amazing yeah, job. I think his name is. Yeah. I don't know. Do, do we feel like we're recommending this? Like, I recommend just it. Like, sure. It's okay. Well, My feeling is like, well, mostly it's, it was better than the last one, but I'm still not like into this yet. It really right. as the third one is we're like, oh, I fucking get it now. I'm okay. not, I, I, I'm, I'm whole hog into the book world and I'm not whole hog into, eh, am I going to show up opening week for these film series as they come out every year? I am not there yet, even after seeing it. I just, See, again, I fell asleep I, a lot, had COVID. I wanted to rewatch it and like say like, oh, this is that's fine. But I didn't feel that way. I was bored. <laughs> I was visually uninteresting. And at some point, the kids grow up to a point where like, it's really easy to relate to them as an adult. And this, these are, it's very much in its kid movie period right now. Right. Yeah. That's the other part of the series. It's a transition. They go from being very young kids, which is an yeah. alien mindset to people like us who are old, 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 old. Right. And- and as they age, I can definitely see it being easier to relate to them. I have kids, though. So to me, that I am seeped in the child mindset of mm. these ages. So to me, these are recognizable humans who are going through this oh, yes. phase of life. You know? I, I didn't mean to say they weren't. I just like I can see how this could be a comfortable mainstream watch for all age groups, or at least from mm -hmm. the third one on. Whereas this, it has kitty orchestra music, the Chris Columbus orchestra music shit that he does, that very home alone. -y. That I, I, your miles may vary you know on that for a, a old as an older person. What's weird to me is I read the Harry Potter books before the movies came out. Right, me too. And I had my definite visual image of all the Harry Potter characters. Mm -hmm. I can't see it. All I see is the movies anytime i read True. the harry potter and there books, were illustrations so that you had an idea what they looked no. like <laughs> but no anytime i read yeah. the harry potter books to my daughter because we did a reread before she could read you know reading aloud to her it was just i am seeing the movie in my head uh, uh, yes well, now you're gonna have to see a new dumbledore because richard harris has passed by the time mm -hmm. this movie came out and kind of a bummer. Diana, no offense to Richard Harris, Michael Gammon is a way better Dumbledore. Richard Harris, I like him too. Yeah, is is a great yeah, actor, but he was way too old for that part. And Gammon is much more fun. And and how I pictured Dumbledore, this is Richard Harris's last performance. That is a big bummer. I did not want him yeah. dead. But I, I love now. I love the Harry Potter series, and I, it, I'm not saying you can't associate it with Halloween. I just more associate it with the holiday season. By that I mean yeah. I don't care about Thanksgiving. That's so, when these always come out. They always come out right before Thanksgiving. I was in Walmart today. Look, and they have the eight film Harry Potter set. Walmart has commissioned new cases to squeeze around pre-existing movies with any holiday content. And these movies all have those covers because apparently I'm not alone. People associate this as a holiday movie. It's when they all came out. Yeah, except that's for when they came two. out. And uh, yeah. Hogwarts has this. They always Christmas have a Christmas feeling to it, and they, they always, always have a Christmas like, scene. Touch on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 to me, yeah, they're Christmas films and. 
We'll see. Maybe uh, maybe I'll do that this this Christmas. That might be fun to rewatch. Anyway, let's move on to television. <laughs> 11th through 17th of November, and we're in 2002. We got The Simpsons. I feel like kind of a limp stab at the softball episode, but with musicians. But about the, the most star studded they would get with musicians. Oh, yeah. is this the rock, the rock and roll camp yeah. one? How rock I spent my strummer camp, vacation. How I Spent my summer Which vacation. Teases you know. clash. How I spent my strum strummer vacation. Strummer oh, vacation. crap! <laughs> I was speed reading that. You're right. How you're I spent right. my strummer. Um, Even though Joe Strummer will be dead in like minutes at this point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I I really think this is like the star fucker phase of The Simpsons, where they're basically less just <laughs> let's get every celebrity we can so we can shake their hand and have them record something on The Simpsons. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Homer Homer got rewarded in this episode for uh, for not being a very good guy for being funny how that happens. One of the one <laughs> of the realist rants I've ever heard Homer give. Then there's those other days where you just wish you never got married or had kids. Mm. One minute you're a carefree teenager with dreams of being a rock star or a photographer for Playboy. Then bam. <laughs> Some babe gets your claws in you, <gasps> and boom, you got a bunch of kids that always needs love. <gasps> so whammo, you get stuck in some boring job where they don't let you play guitar or take pictures of naked women. <laughs> and that's, I love how dated this, that is a cultural reference. Taxicab Confessions is what that's referencing, and that's why they're seeing Homer's drunken ramp and rant in a taxi cab. How was that ever a legal show slash? You can't sign a contract when you're drunk, right? That's, that's not uh, legally. I believe oh, that's not legally binding. That's, that's, good, that's, that's a, really a good point. Good point. Yeah. So I mean, fun guest appearances: Elvis Costello, Tom Petty, Lenny Kravitz, Brian Setzer, and fucking Mick and fucking Keith. Yeah. And that is the only part of this that i tend to remember i remember tom petty trying to encourage them to write political songs about like raising money for teachers but uh <laughs> mick jagger and keith richards trying to make excuses for like oh yeah we can't hang out with you anymore i think it's keith that says like well my storm windows aren't going to put themselves up <laughs> like, they, they, they are celebrities of a caliber because I love people revisiting that softball episode from 30 years ago. Some of those people know the world hasn't even heard of. Some of those baseball players. Mick yeah. Jagger and Keith Rick Richards are arguably as famous as The Simpsons. And I mean, they are. Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're making a book about pop culture over the last 50 years, they might both be on the same cover. So it's, it's, it is neat to see forces like that in one episode. I, I don't not appreciate this. It's still too modern a Simpsons for me to thoroughly enjoy. Even though, damn, it had a good Halloween special. If you, that Halloween special was really good this year, if you haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, which one? The the It one or the Treehouse of Horror? Treehouse of Treehouse Horror. Treehouse of Horror was, was freaking great. The It one was okay. Yeah, yeah. They so they kind of they kind of did Halloween twice this year. Anyway, moving on. We are going so long on everything. I know, I know. Oh, TV, we won't go long on this. TV movie this week, Mr. St. Nick, starring Kelsey Grammer, Charles Durning, and Catherine Hellman. Try uh, and guess uh, which Kelsey one is. Kelsey Grammer <laughs> is the son of Santa Claus. He wow. doesn't want to take over the family business. I'm sure he learns the meaning of Christmas. Power Rangers Wild Force ends this week, as every Power Rangers seasons does. Uh, every season, we get a, it refreshes into something new. Steals the footage from Japan. Films new uh, cutaways with white people. <laughs> Halfway through this series, the Power Rangers were bought by Disney, and apparently, yeah. Power Ranger fans can like 
pinpoint like the exact minute of the exact episode when Disney bought <laughs> wow. over and started changing things. That's hilarious. But yeah, that did, it is something, it gives me faith for the Muppets, who I wish Disney would sell because I don't think they have any interest in owning them anymore. Disney did own the Power Rangers, and they no longer do. So do that with the Muppets. Speaking of Disney, a very poo year is out. Couldn't you have named that better? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, it's, it's one of those things. If you didn't hear me on VGA and my girl laughing at the Ghostbusters song, I'm like, what? She's like, Bustin' makes me feel good. I'm like, yeah, that's the lyric in the song. And then she like makes that <laughs> hand signal for ejaculation. I'm like, I never heard that. I never... This never occurred to me. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh was like that too. Up until that Seinfeld episode and Elaine going, Pooh. <laughs> totally never occurred to me that that could be construed like that. Uh, and this this is half recycled Christmas special from 1991. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's also a it. mix of Freaky Friday where the animals switch places. Uh, no, that teach a, me about Christmas? I'm a frightened little piglet yeah. now. I can't do my fucking poo voice. Come in. And then lastly, right. we got Futurama. Lastly, <laughs> get out the waterworks, folks. I, I have to ask you, which which is sadder, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt or the episode of Futurama with Fry's dog? I, oh, I, Fry's dog. I, I, 100%. <laughs> it's so sad at the end where he's like little little Hachiko the dog, and he's just waiting and waiting and waiting. But Fry never goes back because he's been frozen. So th- this is the fry the Fry's dog episode. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this the first time Futurama plays with that emotion to such a level? Because I remember it feeling sort of out of nowhere. Well, that's because Futurama is a comedy series. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to set it up. Here's Fry. He's a thousand years in the future. Yeah. Everyone he knows and loves is dead. But don't think about that because he didn't have a good life and no one cared or no one missed him. And then over time, they start to build up his backstory. And yeah, like glimpses like his brother naming his kid at when he finds out the statue is named yeah. like it's a cool, really cool moment a great way to play with science fiction as is this and but this is the one you've seen i see memed more <laughs> so sad can you explain a little bit because i'm a little rusty fry sure. finds mm. out his fossilized dog is in a museum so he protests <laughs> to get it back and wants to clone him and bender does all these things there's all these things that happen and then at the end it's finally discovered oh your dog was not fossilized right after you left him. He was fossilized 14 years after you left. So he's an old dog now. And Fry goes, wow, he lived 14 long years after I left him. He must have forgot about me. He, he wouldn't care about me. I don't want to bring him back. And he just leaves him be. And then we get the flashback to Fry's dog waiting for him for 14 years. Just... Season after season, waiting for an owner that will never come back. And that's is is that does that tie into Hachiko? I love that. So I assume they uh, got the inspiration from Hachiko, who is a real life Japanese dog from 1923 to 1935. He's an Akita dog, super cute, and he was waiting nine years following his owner's death and he's a true story that the japanese just love the futurama writers group had more phds than i think <laughs> yeah uh, but i was just one other tv shows combined i, I didn't so rewatch I'm this sure but, but the decision to fossilize him mm-hmm. was that based because if you go to shibuya station there's a statue of uh, a hachiko where he used to be and even teenagers like 
you're supposed to wait there for your friends yeah, around yeah. this statue of this dog who waited. And, it's such a sweet tradition. I love and it. And I just wondered if that's, if that's how Fry's dog in canon ended up being fossilized because he was New York's Hachiko. I'll move on to what Billy West said about it. No, I think he's just, I mean, he's fossilized because how else do you get his DNA a thousand years ahead? True. Exactly. He's, he's been fossilized into dolomite, the toughest, <laughs> blackest material there is. <laughs> Here's what Billy West had to say about the emotional impact of uh, this episode. But, uh, but as far as this one, this was what hit you right between the eyes because everybody pretty much knows what it's like to bond with a pet. And the love that you have for each other, you know, we want them to live forever, or at least as long as we do, but they don't. You go through a lot of beautiful little friends along the way in life and see them gone. Um, but the fact that the dog was loyal, that's what I loved about dogs or cats, you know, it's like, I wish I was half a man of those stupid cats thought I was. <laughs> Excellent that point. me. I mean, I've, I've lost dogs and... We bought dogs for our kids, and I'm doing the math. They're probably going to die right around the time the kids go to college or thereabouts. Perfect. And it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, I'm giving you this love that I know will come with a loss. And Or it could be like your kid, last kid pulls away in a car, and you just turn to your wife and like, throw away the dogs. They're, they're out. They're out. We don't need them anymore. I'm just we kidding. We don't I'm deserve dogs. I don't, we don't. I don't know what? What, what happened. I During all of this sleep and sickness, I dreamt constantly about animal companions in a good way. And I had to be talked out of getting a dog this week because it, I was literally dreaming about it the entire time. I don't know what it was about what was going on with my body, but I really... I really love my cat. and I, I, Can you imagine having a dream with every one of your animals in it? Like, I woke up not being able to remember, remember oh, wow. if my first dog was dead or not. So when my mom Thank called me, I'm like, Is Ma- what about Maggie? He's like, Maggie's been dead since, like, the 2000s. What are you talking about? I had a lot of vivid pet stuff. And anyway, moving on to games. Uh, <laughs> we have two Metroids released a day apart from one another. Okay, so, sorry. I know this is a long session. We're going to go along again. So Damn we it. got... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Metroid Fusion, Metroid Prime. Eight years since the last Metroid game. To give you some idea, uh, in that time, we saw the Super Nintendo die, the N64 be born and die. We saw the transition to 3D. We saw the fall of Sega as a rival to Nintendo. The collapse (laughs) of its making multiple systems. Then the rise of two other game console manufacturers all in the amount of time between the last metroid game and this two metroid game Mm -hmm. so nuts imagine being a metroid fan it's like 2002 it's like what's happening to silent hill right now just like a long extended 10-year gap and then Mm -hmm. flooded with two very good titles yeah, I, I think story like story wise, Metroid Prime for GameCube, the first person shooter, is a prequel in the story, mm-hmm. and canonically, Metroid Fusion is the last of the story. Recently followed up with Metroid Dread. Correct. Hey, canonically, Metroid Fusion is Metroid Four, <laughs> and Metroid Prime is Metroid Zero. Yeah. Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance is an amazing 2D game, and this is what. I'm blown away Nintendo did. They went, we're transitioning to 3D, but you know what, all you 2D fans? Here's a gem. Here's a beautiful, shining jewel for you 2D lovers to play with. 
at the exact same time, we reboot the franchise practically yeah. in 3D for the first time. And the reboot they do with Metroid Prime makes the list of best games of all time as well. If you look yeah. up its Metacritic score, it is still like in the top 10 or something ridiculous. Like bo- companion games like this rarely do. And I'm not talking about Pokemon, which are like the exact same fucking games. Like companion games like this rarely work this well. Metroid Fusion mm-hmm. and Prime are fantastic games that hold up amazingly. Uh. So I have no nostalgia for Metroid Prime. I loaded it up for this and I got sucked in. Mm-hmm. I wish I had more time to play this game. It is a, even today, the atmospheric graphics, sure, they're dated. I get that. But you're on a spaceship, so it matters a lot less. And you just feel it. And they add all these little touches. Like, you're seeing the world through your visor. And occasionally, there'll be water droplets on it. Or you'll right. shoot it, and you'll see briefly a reflection of Samus's face. And there's so much love they put into this game. And there's lore everywhere where you'll walk around and you'll find this little thing and you'll read it and it'll give you a little nugget. And the controls, big shock for a Nintendo game, super tight. There's no voiceover, which I'm super thankful. No, it's me, Samus. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Uh. they just put you in this dark, scary, claustrophobic world. Have you figure it out? It's as much an adventure puzzle solving game as it is an action game. Mm. And I love it. I, I I wish I was a huge loser with no life right now so that I could just dive into this game. It blew me away. And it, 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 it was not re- totally remastered, but it did have a, a, a trilogy released on the Wii that they have yeah. not, it should be re remastered into something you can play now. Metroid four might be the most delayed game since Duke Nukem. Great time to well, be a Metroid fan. As always, N- Nintendo hates money. They could go to <laughs> literally a hundred different game companies, say, do Metroid Prime one-to-one, don't change anything, up-res the graphics to modern graphics. Can you do that? Yeah, we can pull that off in about six to nine months. Great. Nice. Okay, we'll split. We'll give you a cut of that, and we'll take our hundreds of millions of dollars because mm. fans would eat that up. Just an up-res would blow people away because you can find fans on the internet who have up-resed it on their own and it looks gorgeous. And you can find fans who uh, make it so you can play it with a mouse and keyboard and they're like, this is the best game ever. It's it is not bad. It's not. I, I I'm a big Super Metroid fan, and let's get a good game also out of the way. Speaking of Nintendo stuff, I think the last of whatever Capcom and exclusivity was with the GameCube, Resident Evil Zero comes out. I have no knowledge of Zero at all. Did not touch it. Still haven't because I hate Resident Evil. And then let's get into the wonderfully bad games: The Simpsons skateboarding for PS2. <laughs> not good, but a lot of characters and a lot of voice samples. Yeah, so if you want to see Marge with her giant hairdo trying to do a couple of Ollie axles, this is the game Watch for me you. Watch bust out with a 5-0 grind. Oh, homie. <laughs> homie, nice Christ air. Uh, <laughs> but it's not a good game, but this is a sign of how big Tony Hawk and extreme sports yeah, it's were. A, it's that, that small area of time where Fox Interactive, like, we're sick of licensing our games to other people and letting them make the money. We'll make our own crop of games and include the voice actors and the official music. Wasn't a great Simpson skateboarding. Star Wars The New Droid Army for GBA didn't even look up. I'm just going to assume it's so, not worth remembering. So this was very ambitious. 
They were trying to do RPG elements in uh, the prequel universe. You were going to be an original character. It was going to be all about before the next episode. And then after they'd done about half to two-thirds of the work, George Lucas came in and said, "Uh, you know what, I think you should play Anakin. (laughs) <laughs> and they had to completely throw out most of the work they did on the series. And now you just play Anakin Skywalker prior to his fall to the dark side. Yay. And then and most of the RPG elements were thrown out because they didn't have time. Last but wonderfully leastly, Diana, <laughs> your, your husband has written about this and talked about this on the show so many times. I, you may have heard of it. Tony Hawk was so big. Acclaim has a... They took all the left available X gamer guys and gave them their own game series, including I think is, is it is it Dave Mira's BMX? I can't, I can't even remember Matt Hoffman. That's right, Dave Mira's BMX. Two not very well received games. So like, how do we inject a little fun of this BMX Triple hey, X? Here's the story: titties, here's strippers. The story. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> at the business it's, meeting. Wait, it's not the thirtieth one. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> at the business meeting, and this is on record from multiple people who were there. They were saying our sales are slipping. We're really not doing good. What should we do? This is on record. One guy said as a joke, let's put strippers on it. And everyone at the meeting (laughs) laughed. And then they thought about it. And they said, let's do exactly that. So by that, I mean, you can not only play with nudity, you can unlock real videos of strippers in the game. A formerly PG, totally PG Sports game became edgy and gross. They have the Scores Strip Club, which yeah, is famous right. uh-huh. yeah. uh, as, as as part of this, and it's you know PS2 polygonal nudity until you mm-hmm. get to the Scores clips, which is you know a PS2 video, and it was such a desperate plea for attention from a dying company <laughs> that dying. no one. Even horny teenage boys were like, no, this this isn't quite for me. And it only sold 160,000 units. It's not a good game. It's ugly. Yikes. Don't you love like, you know, it wasn't even like that long ago. A couple women were like, hey, this hasn't this industry hasn't always been uh, the nicest to women and a bunch of gamers. said, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) There's I'm sure there were women who played Dave Mears being (laughs) And then I'm going to pre-order the third one before its name is changed. And then, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Uh. Di- telling Diane about it, you can see her rolling her eyes and sighing. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. As a, as and a... this is why I should be like a multimillionaire consultant where game companies can call me and be like, is this like the worst idea? And I go, <sighs> oh, honey. Let me go to a break so I can have a coughing jag. Still having a hard God. time even to get it together. Get vaccinated. We'll close that with Rock Your Body by Justin Timberlake off his brand new solo debut album. I would say, this is not the debut single. I'm disappointed no. to see that Crimea River came before this. Mm-hmm. But that is a stalkerish weird video and it makes me upset. And we're trying to go happy times. There we go. Because we just talked about two very depressing things. So Indeed. we have to go with a Michael Jackson off the wall era sound alike disco jam. Let's do it. I love this song. Take so much. us out, Mr. Timberlake. We'll be right back with 2012 with another fantasy franchise entirely to wrap up the segment. Don't be so quick to walk away. This
This is Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth watching. And for the week of November 11th through 17th, turning 75 this week, a movie that should not still be applicable, and yet it is. God damn it. It's Gentleman's Agreement from 1947, starring Gregory Peck, Dorothy McGuire, John Garfield, and Dean Stockwell, age 8. Lil baby tiny Dean Stockwell from Blue Velvet and Quantum Leap and all that. Yeah, age eight. Uh, yeah, Gentleman's Agreement is directed by Ilya Kazan. It's screenplay by Moss Hart. It's based on a novel, and it's about how anti-Semitism is bad. But it's not just, you know, rednecks who don't like Jews. Turns out, like, plenty of people don't like Jews. Just like your intelligent friends, your successful friends. Turns out there's a lot of people who just don't like Jews, and they can't really explain why. They just don't. Movies about racism go, can't really call it super hard-hitting. I mean, it's definitely more of a look at a particular time back when, uh, yeah, there were a lot of businesses that would not do business with Jews. Just, yeah, hotels that were just restricted. And you're like, why? And like, well, that's what our clientele want. And it's like, well, who gives a shit, you know? Asterisk, 1947, is the same year we desegregated the army. So there were bigger racism issues going on. This is not about them. I wish it were. But it's still, uh, yeah, anti-Semitism. Still very much a thing. Very much getting attention right now. And so let me tell you, as an American Jewish person, we don't run everything. We don't work as a group. We don't have meetings where we decide how we're going to take over shit and run it and punish those who cross us. I wish we were that organized. I wish any group was that organized. We could actually fix some shit in this country if, like, all black people were on the same page at the exact same time about everything. But they're not, because people are people. Some are, you know, liberal, some are conservative, some are happy, some are sad, some are crazy, some are less crazy. Like, any group of people does not agree on everything. And we do not have a gentleman's agreement, as it were, to run things, because we don't. Really, we don't have meetings. I've never met Barbara Streisand. I assume she's in charge. Anyway, yeah, Gentleman's Agreement, 1947, like, it's a pretty good movie. It's very old-fashioned. At the time, it was like, oh, taking on a social issue. That's really bold. And it's like, we look at it now, and it's like, <sighs> this is kind of low stakes overall. I don't think anyone's getting shot. But it's about how, like, just low-level bigotry is just very pervasive. And when it crops up, you should, you know, actually poke and prod people. When they say something bigoted, ask follow-up questions. And they say something like, well, you know, all the trans people are like that. Why do you think that? You should confront bigotry when you see it, is basically my point. And I know this, unfortunately, from personal experience, that if you drill down into people's bigotry, you generally find a bunch of misinformation and conspiracy theories. And then if you drill into those, they just like those because those explain things that are complicated in very simple ways. And the, the very simple thing it comes down to is... I don't like things that are different. And whether that is Asian folks or black folks or Latino folks or people who don't speak English well, it always just comes down to, well, that's different and therefore I don't like it. Even when it's coming from someone who seems very genteel and smart and educated and, you know, it's your friend. Don't want to disagree on this. You should disagree with your friends when their opinions are that some people are inherently bad, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. Yeah, that's kind of my point. Ugh, I'm, I hate when anti-Semitism comes up. I don't like it. It's America, goddammit. And we're only 2% of the population. And we're not organized. 
We're not an organized gang taking over the world. We're, all we do is argue with each other. That's what Jews do, for fuck's sake. Anyway, don't listen to Kanye or listen to his music. I don't know. That's it for this week. Gentlemen's Agreement, 1947. Stay classic. Set fire to your hair. Poke a stick at a grizzly bear. Eat medicine that's out of date. Use your private parts as piranha bait. Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Coming into 2012 with Dumb Ways to Die by Tangerine Kitty. Welcome. To 2012, November 11th to the 17th, other new music releases include Koi No Yokan by the Deftones, uh, The Road by Aaron Lewis, Psycho White by Travis Barker and Yellow Wolf, Global Warming by Pitbull, and King Animal by Soundgarden, first uh, album in 16 years, and what turns out to be their last. I had to put Dumb Ways to Die in here because it is so rare that a ad for municipal rail service in Melbourne, <laughs> Australia goes so viral that they make a video game out of it because it's just so much fun. Like, the song is great, the video is great. I'm just like There are really dumb ways to die and that includes, you know, playing on metro rail tracks. Don't do that. <laughs> one More Night by Maroon 5 is still number one. A little bit of news bringing the world of 2012 the Deep Horizon oil spill. This is the settlement. They say, alright, I guess we messed up. Here's a uh... One billion? No. Two, three, four point five billion. We're all good. That was that was so odd because the town I grew up in, all of our gas stations were taken over by British Petroleum and they all became BP. And then I came back for Christmas and like, what's with this Gulf shit? This brand that has oh uh, this oil brand has become so toxic it detoxified a previously toxic oil brand and then people's sexiest man alive channing tatum which makes me feel old because he still feels young and new to me a magic mic came out this year so it's true it's true where he revealed his true assets the mabs what did lizzie call him a buff swan (laughs) no his true asset asset is the dance the dance (laughs) The Dan 2012 movies. We got Chasing Ice. This better be about 1910s ice delivery people or <laughs> ice capades. No, we're not getting any of this. Oh, no. Nope. Chasing Ice. Big old icebergs in Greenland and watching okay, them break okay. off because shit's warming up. As, not, as long yep. as it's not uh, exalting immigration control. Absolutely gorgeous. There's some really gorgeous Arctic footage in there, but also sort of terrifying of like, oh, those are the things we need, huh? And those are the things that are going to melt and create a water world? Oh, I don't want that. <laughs> I've always wanted to go on an Arctic cruise and see huge, giant icebergs. I think that would be super cool. That is the only cruise I've been on oh, wow. in, in Alaska. I mean, I'm not sure how sure how uh, interesting a normal cruise is supposed to be, but glaciers, I'm going to say this, I didn't mean to make it a dad joke, pretty chill. It, it's a pretty chill situation. We saw one thing fall off of one of them. Other than that, it's pretty serene. And you're basically looking at a big, giant curtain that never moved. I don't know why I brought that up. Because this we got to talk about The Sessions, a movie I've never heard of until this very moment. <laughs> Moon Blood Good. William H. Macy, Helen Hunt, and John Hawks. Sessions. I feel like you might have heard of this because it's got Tell a decent what. amount of awards attention. Also, Helen Hunt's naked in like a lot of it. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Uh, grandma it's nudity. based on a true story. John Hawks plays a guy who had polio as a kid. There mm. it is again. Get get your shots, yo. He I needs won't get my shots. Nicholas Tesla is trying to put electrons into my bloodstream to make me want to in- invest in World War One. I'll never get the polio <laughs> shot. I got it the old-fashioned way on a sugar cube. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I actually did. It's not just that I'm that old. That's true. Anyway, this sessions, he is fully paralyzed and he's 38 years old and he's like, I would like to have sex, please. And so he goes to Helen Hunt, who is a sex surrogate, which is a job I I understand theoretically, please but I explain. don't understand why anyone would do that job. Please explain. What is a sex uh, surrogate? Someone who works usually in tandem with a therapist working through people's sexual issues like it could just and and it's stuff that like therapists can't do therapists you're not supposed to touch your freaking patients but these folks it's like every time i get naked with someone i have a panic attack so as someone to work with we get naked and we work through the problems so it's a therapist who will have sex with you therapeutically i'm feverishly typing right now for craigslist positions so this is always intriguing me because their prostitution is illegal Mm-hmm. But if you film it, then it is not illegal. It's educational. Right. And yeah. similar, if you have a degree and you are you can write a paper on why you're doing it, then it's not illegal. Right. Okay. Kinsey, yeah. yeah. I mean, it has, there. it's not right. role play. It's, it has a, you know, a actual therapeutic mental health purpose. But yeah, I'm not really sure how someone would get into that line of work. And Helen Hunt's character is also based on a real person. And she's like a fucking soccer mom. And that's just like, this is just her job. And I don't know how you get into it. I mean, it sounds, well, obviously better than just being a sex worker. Like Mm -hmm. you have training and you have to work with people. For some reason, it sounds like sex work with health insurance. I got to get into this. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, obviously it's not for everyone and not for every problem, but it fits the bill right here in that, like, it's like, I could hire a sex worker, but it's like, I, that's, you know, I want kind of the full, the full package. I want to talk about my feelings. And it's like, that's not something we talk about with the disabled. We don't talk about disabled people and wanting to have sex mm. and they do because they're the people our bodies Even are made that way that's how we work generally some people generally. they don't so but most people they do and uh yeah so john hawks is amazing because he can't use any of his body to act okay. he is paralyzed from the neck down and so he still gives an amazing fucking yeah, thank, thank god they got someone with an interesting face yeah yeah he's great in it and like helen hunt is really interesting like because we haven't seen her for a while and it's like such an interesting character and thinking about you know are our bodies part of ourselves or are we trapped in our bodies and yeah it was just i i thought it would just be like oh this is an interesting idea it's Hmm. an acting showcase this feels like a film play whatever and then i watched it i was like shit that was good i'm thinking about it like days later that's always a great sign for movies for me if you think about it days later good on you movie i have not thought of passenger 57 for one <laughs> millisecond since yeah. we finished our podcast it was just gone i you I know yeah i was telling people about that about a uh, white lotus on hbo which just came back for a second season it's like do you mm-hmm. recommend it i'm like i don't know i'd never say i love it but i've thought about it like almost every day since the show aired nice I, yeah, yeah I, no. I, I, it, it's not like this breathless recommend but i yeah, I'm still thinking about it. So that's that's neat. Doesn't have an yeah. explosive thing in it. It's it's just like, huh, I haven't seen that done before. Neat. Yeah, 
yeah that's that's like exactly how i feel about the sessions it's yeah. like huh yeah that's a bunch of stuff i hadn't thought about and they did oh that was interesting i i want to read more and luckily the guy is based on was a writer and he's written other stuff so i could read about uh what his experience was so yeah all it's right. awards time. It is a, can you tell? <laughs> can you tell? Here's the most awards the awards movie to ever award. I mean, these are, might be the, the most awarded cast we'll ever talk about. S, I have to put like everybody uh, in here. Bergerson, Michael Stolberg, Adam Driver, uh, Lucas Haas, David Cost Costabil, Sir Walton Goggins, Julie White, Lee Pace, Dane DeHaan, Jackie Earl Haley, David O'Yellow-O, Tommy Lee Jones, R Jared Harris, not Richard Harris, Tim Blake Nelson. Here they come. Here they come. Tim Blake Here Nelson, John Hawks again, uh, James yeah. Spader, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Sally Field, hey, a woman, uh, Hal Holbrook, David Stratham, and Daniel Day Lewis in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. This fight is for the United States of America. How many hundreds of thousands have died during your administration? On November 16th, I can't accomplish a thing till we cure ourselves of slavery and end this war. In a nation divided. Into the amendment or at least you cannot have One man united us all. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. We are guaranteed to lose the whole thing. I am the president clothed in immense power. Lincoln, will it be G3? That is one of the silliest TV spots I've ever seen for this film. This is not a good preview of the film. No. I no, am going to go to not. bat for this film. I really enjoyed this film. I think it's an excellent coverage of Abraham Lincoln, the man, at a specific moment and time when right. he's doing something. It does the opposite of most pictures about historical figures. At no point in this film does Abraham Lincoln's hand approach the Emancipation Proclamation and someone say, before Abraham Lincoln can sign that, he has to think about every political choice he's made in his entire life. You'll never make um, it in the wrestling industry, Lincoln, unless <laughs> lose the mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the best biopics are the ones that take just a small episode from someone's life and tell you everything about that person in that episode and yeah, that, this is a great example of that and that it's just about politics of passing the 13th amendment not they, the they, whole war not the whole life they gave it a a, a, a biopicy name and just calling it lincoln well and, but it's it also like so long since there was a lincoln film it's true okay but it, it, but first... i think you, you could argue this is the most defining thing about lincoln so why not like th th this will this will define him forever. Well, this, the kind civil of. war no, in the general. civil war in general. But, I mean, yeah. uh, if you look at past Lincoln movies, they were much more focused I'm, I, on the civil war. I tried this is there was I had a record behind the scenes. I put this on three separate times, taking a lot of COVID cold medication, drowsiness, kept falling asleep. I watched this for uh, Oscar time ten years ago, and I remember I was watching an Oscar screener and like this looks like dog shit. And now I'm not watching an Oscar screener and like this deliberately looks like dog shit. <laughs> or it's well, it's it's lit to be it's real. Dark. It's it's yeah, dark. It's got it's, that realistic lighting, which means there's just oil lamps. They're like and they're just yeah. dark. They're like six colors present in the in the entire movie. And they are like before M and M's got red and blue. That is like the only colors they use. There's a lot of <laughs> tans and browns. And I, I told my dad like ah, I've, I've had to watch Lincoln the whole week, and I just haven't been able to, to stay awake through it. And he's like I'm really disappointed. That's one of my favorites. And he started like going off on like how because he's not only you know he's an 
He's a boomer. Of course, he likes Lincoln, but he's also a litigator, and he likes how you sneak politically in things. He's like, that That Lincoln maybe didn't, maybe slavery wasn't his priority. Or, that is not no. true. Or, that or, is absolutely not true. Abraham's Lincoln entire life cannot be understood unless you understand that he hated slavery but he was a wise politician right he realized when he was i didn't mean personally i meant in, I mean, in terms of 60 bargaining chips yeah yeah he and, couldn't outlaw slavery mm-hmm. in 1860 he couldn't do it in 1861 he waited until he could actually have the political power to outlaw slavery and then he did if you look at his life and then the, the but the means he could hurt slavery he hurt slavery as best he could given the power and tools he had at that time but the thing he my dad was talking and i could be i'm paraphrasing him here so jump down his throat gr jesus uh, <laughs> that that it's like uh, it, it did come down into when he had to weigh out like how early can i win this war versus versus like and then end slavery at the same time and sometimes those two ideas didn't no. mesh well. Well, it's and, very. Yeah. It's he about was, political maneuvering. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the whole point of the movie. It's not whether slavery is moral or immoral, or right. whether Lincoln liked it or not. It's Certain. it's yeah. How do we end this war and not go back to the exact conditions that set up the war? How mm-hmm. do we get rid of the slavery? But also, like, can we negotiate a peace or do we have to just absolutely destroy these fuckers? Can we wait on passing an anti-slavery amendment until after the war is won? No, that's like Lincoln's big argument is we can't do that because then we'll have a bunch of Confederate states ready to vote on it and they will fuck with us. And how, and how do you, in this day and age, pass a law that right-wing chuds will not gerrymander to get out of? As we've seen well, with so so the other thing I, want, I, I know I know but the, <laughs> the other thing I want to say about it is okay slavery was outlawed in the Thirteenth Amendment okay right yeah find me the biggest history geek who can tell me what the Eleventh and Twelfth Amendments were <laughs> they are nothing no one remembers them I the do I know Amend- I, I think the Twelfth oh, one what involves no Pepsi products in the White House like they were just mm-hmm. not yeah. popular Jr Sierra <laughs> Mist God. The Thirteenth Amendment was when the first time when we were like adding rights to the Constitution, Mm. when we were actually making a fundamental change to the Constitution. (laughs) And that was a huge thing for the time. And this movie really captures that. This movie does a great job of explaining the politics in a way a modern person can understand. Because Abraham Lincoln in this film is talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. He says, I think this is legal. Will the Supreme Court Agree with me? I don't know. Five years ago, the Dred Scott decision was decided by these same judges that you couldn't bring a slave to a free state and have them remain free. So are they going to agree with my Emancipation Proclamation? Why would I want to put that to risk when I can just try to get this amendment passed Mm -hmm. and when I'm willing to do every underhanded thing I can (laughs) to get this passed? And this is a film that shows you, you know what? Maybe if you're going in a good cause, fight dirty for the right things. Be that nice. Yeah, fight dirty for the right things. It's something I wish was happening more right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's this thing where you have, uh, you know, characters like James Spader's character. It's like there's a bunch of spin doctors who who are, you know, bothering representatives and trying to, you know, assuage their views of like there's some lame duck Democrats. And it's like, I don't know if I want to vote for this. And they're like, well, what if we helped you out with a job afterwards? Now, not mm-hmm. cash payments, but what about a job? Right. I mean, that's kind of a bribe, but 
But it's a but deniable it's, bribe. It, and it's politics. Yeah. It's how all that shit yeah, works. Exactly. It, it's dirty ass politics. It's mm-hmm. very recognizable, but it's from 150 years ago. Right. I'm just like, hey, afterwards, you could become a lobbyist. About a, we'll a, pay you yet another thing that was undeniably right that a lot of the country wanted to happen, but was too fucking profitable. <laughs> too profitable to immediately overturn. And that that's the parts I didn't sleep through, like how dependent the economy was on slavery like how hard the south collapsed after slavery the white southerners did not get their income level in 1860 until the 1940s because their entire (sighs) world system was built around slavery Mm -hmm. and when that ended they just went into a tailspin that took them literally generations to pull out of without free labor i got nothing oh god oh god Mm. learn a trade (laughs) <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. No one feels bad for you. Wages. Pay decent wages to whoever, white folks, yeah. poor white people. There. Fix oh. your problem for you, you dicks. But if I don't have cheap labor, I can't compete on costs. Wow, that's not something we don't hear today. Do you God think our current it. income disparities may be set in stone by an economic model like slavery? People at the top getting that much and people at the bottom getting... I don't want to talk about this anymore. Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln's a great film. It's <laughs> yep. my highest recommend of the week. Yeah. I'm a history geek, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I just... I know. I've, I only got I got through the first 30 and then like the last 40. How I does should this... mention that this movie is uh, loosely based on Doris Kearns Goodwin, Team of Rivals, which is a really good history book I quite enjoyed. And yeah, Spielberg nailing it. Daniel Day-Lewis. I appreciate that he he's doing that soft, high, reedy voice that apparently is closer to reality. Apparently. Than yeah. We usually hear four score and seven years ago. And yep. like, dude. I sounded like an old man when I was 40. Yep. Yeah, Lincoln exactly. was a fairly young president. We kind of forget that because of how much the war aged him. If you look at a picture of him before the Civil War and then at the very end, you're like, that dude is 20 years older, right? But no, yeah. just just five. five. <laughs> horrible horrible years but team of rivals is great i've read it it's a fantastic book that really gets you in the mindset of lincoln and the cabinet and it's exactly what the title says all those people thought they'd be a better president than lincoln and he had to try to get them to work together and he did an amazing job because he is in my opinion the most skilled american president we've ever had ooh, ooh. possibly fdr he did some amazing things too but lincoln is my number one favorite president by far really yeah is very it, yep. interesting. how much very how? interesting guy and then i feel i just want to underline this movie might feel like it's homework and i don't think it is i, I just I, because of the political intrigue and machinations and sort of the cleverness and the little double crosses and stuff i didn't fall asleep because this was boring i fell asleep because the medication yeah but it's just you know it's not a big serious biopic where we all learn to love again it's you know no it's down and dirty and that's what's fun about it if you didn't uh we we were surprised there is absolutely no way slavery could have been ended before the civil war okay, okay that part's true but yeah. afterwards like it was it would it was an equal gambit of like there's no guarantee no, i i think the movie kind of overstates thing you've got to keep in mind that in the north we have had literally hundreds of thousands of dead over the slavery issue mm-hmm. you have so many people who view slavery as the reason their brother died their father died their son died. You're saying it would have ended they, eventually, like after it would have 100 percent ended. Yeah. Uh, mm. Once the North won, 
it was going to end. I mean, it was ending all over the Western Hemisphere. It was... Yeah. I uh, think one, one of the big questions was, do we buy everybody? Do we pay slave owners and for their quote-unquote property? The thing is, the slave owners were not being very rational. Kentucky yeah. stayed in the Union. Okay, Kentucky yeah. had a large slave population. Near the end, the federal government was like, Kentucky, if you agree to end slavery... We will buy out your slaves. A slave buyback is, program. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Kentucky was like, hell no. Even though the war's over, this amendment process is probably going to pass. We're not going to take that money. They didn't take the money, and they got nothing when they could have gotten something. They were just so committed to that that even when it was obviously mm. it was on death's door, they weren't willing to just take the money and end it. They had to just have it be ended without their consent. Fascinating. And the, and the, the, the North was powerful enough at the end of the Civil War that it was going to 100% end one way or the other. How much of your praise is wrapped up in any historical accuracy or historical smell test for this film? Uh, so this is, as a movie, mm -hmm. this is accurate. I do not expect one-to-one -one sure. documentaries when I'm watching a historical film. There's lots of parts here where they just have to fill in the gaps like where they go and offer people bribes or jobs you know we don't necessarily know what was said between closed doors we don't know the exact machinations we, we know something we would have to guess something had to be said because this person would not have done this without some incentive we exactly. have to imagine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what they imagine happening is plausible. Mm -hmm. Is it 100% what we know happened? Hell no. Mm. Is it historically plausible? Cool. You betcha. Cool. Yep. Also, this did lead to a fun thing of someone doing a little bit of research and realizing Mississippi had not officially ratified the 13th Amendment, and they did so in 2013. Ah, right. You know what? Talking about this with now officially three people today, I'm probably have to go upstairs and give this another shot. Because <laughs> like I, I feel like I feel like stop blaming the the stop blaming the drugs, man. Do you? I fell asleep during all the things I wanted to do and liked. I couldn't <laughs> play a game. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't do anything. It sucks. All right. Well, you're sounding better. So yeah, feel now, better. now you've no no excuse to not watch the next movie, which I have recommended to you guys. Okay. So my and excuse. Is we open the show with a batshit vampire movie, and we are going to close it with a. Here's here's my movie. excuse. One last time we talked about this on the show. Hold on. I guess I'll, let me introduce this first. Rami Malik. Oh man. <laughs> Maggie Grace, I like Maggie Grace. Dakota Fanning, Lee Pace, Cameron Bright, uh, Kellen Lutz, Nikki Reed, Jackson Rathbone, Elizabeth Freezer, Peter uh, Fascinelli, Taylor Lautner. A lot of, lot of heroes characters in here. Ashley Green, uh, Billy Burke, Mackenzie Foy, Michael Sheen, Robert Pattinson, and Kristen Stewart. It's number one at the box office. Twilight, colon, Breaking Dawn, colon, part two. The Voltori, they're coming for us. I'll never let anybody hurt you. In one week, it's the epic finale the world has been waiting for. Breaking Dawn Part 2. Okay, so here's here's my... I The second I hung... Even before I did a COVID test, I was like, yo, my new girl, all she loves is vampires. I gotta know what she thinks about this. And even she is like, we went to go see The Invitation Day 1. Not the best vampire flick in the world. Have fun. We're watching an interview with a vampire. Everything vampire, we'll watch. Even she was like... I'm not watching that again. <laughs> I will not watch this again. And it sent me all these gifts that I, I couldn't believe. Because when last I talked about this, I tried to jump on Breaking Dawn Part 1. And all it made me do was appreciate 
how Marvel movies give everybody an idea of what's happening, whereas this movie not only didn't, threw a dream sequence into the mix on top of people I don't know. Those people I don't know were doing things they're not supposed to do, which I don't know because I have no familiarity with them. And and uh, so I asked two people, very important people in my life, to do this, and they both said, fuck that movie no because the best the best reaction i was getting about out of it was the i don't, I don't want to call it the feminist take is that fair diana like you and, and sarah just in terms of movies and movies that may be bad for women that's the take i like i'll just sit back and listen this is way more fun than whatever i have to say about it it was long and kind of boring and i don't believe that kind of love exists maybe this a mortal guy shouldn't be mar- marrying high schoolers i could have said that at any time but, but who, who cares diana Breaking Dawn Part Two. Jr., what do right. you think? <laughs> All right, so Breaking Dawn Part One is a movie that infuriates me to no end because it should not really be a movie. There's not enough movie there. There, it's mostly spinning wheels until it turns into an anti-abortion movie. <laughs> the Twilight Saga: Colon Breaking Dawn Dash Part Two. <laughs> this movie should have been an email. <laughs> I am not joking. It's a this huge cast for an email. There's a lot of people attached to this email. Have been an email wow. because the the story, such as it is, is okay. So our main character is a vampire now. She died at the end of the last movie, and then they, but then she came back, and now she's a vampire. She was all like super emaciated and busted at the end of the last movie and it literally would have been funny if she came back just looking like that forever but no now she's pretty and perfect and everyone loves her so she also had a half vampire baby and the thing with half vampire bebes is they grow really fast which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because nope. like they're supposed to be super long-lived so shouldn't they grow super slow because this is a fantasy and if you intrude and then Bella spent a couple of years changing diapers and getting a lack of sleep <laughs> and waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah, but and all, all I have to go on is, is yeah, all I skip to the good parts. We'll skip to the good parts of parenthood. But all I have to go on is that the, that's it, interview is. with a vampire logic that showed that Kirsten Dunst was never allowed to go through puberty. Nor the right. girl who plays no, her in the but, new show. No, but she's not. You see, now here's the confusion and why this movie could have been an email. She's not a vampire, baby. She was born Passion. while Bella was still human. Yeah. She's so she's, she's and that's what my vampire, baby. the gifts in my phone. She's but just she like she doesn't drink blood and she doesn't have vampire whatever. There's a half vampire baby in it and it's mostly a muppet and it's really disgusting to look at and I my phone is filled with gifts yeah. of this awful fucking baby puppet. <laughs> yeah, they tried this baby puppet where even she, she didn't say the baby the grows. Actress looks. She didn't say that the baby grows fast. She said the baby grows weird. (laughs) The baby grows weird. Yeah. No, the test footage is probably what she sent you with the, yeah, the baby puppet. They ended up not using a baby puppet. They just used a a real little kid. The baby puppet, the actress looks legitimately afraid of it. (laughs) It's pretty fucking funny. She looks disgusted by this baby. So, all right. So she's a vampire now and they have a half vampire baby. Some other vampire sees the half vampire baby who is now like six in like a couple weeks because why would we bother having bebes around because that's boring this is supposed to be wish fulfillment for like 13 year old girls so let's skip to the fun parts fresh prince season seven this thing teal's gonna have my yeah exactly let's Mm -hmm. skip to the part where the kids are fun Mm -hmm. this other vampire sees decides oh it looks like they turned a little kid into a vampire that's against the rules so i'm gonna go call the bad vampire council and they're going to come kill everybody and so our heroes instead of calling them 
or sending an email. They go out and they just recruit a bunch of other vampires to be like, will you fight on our side against the bad vampires? And they all go, yeah. And that's like a huge chunk of the movie is just this getting this band back together montage. Also, remember that all these vampires, they each have a special power because they're X-Men too. So like Remy Malik wow. is like a waterbender. Why? I don't know. They spend all this time on this for no fucking reason. Pick up a phone and call them. Yeah. So finally, after all this bullshit. Dude, you married also, a teenager? Also, by the way, her dad's a cop, and they finally like deal with him of just like, oh, by the way, your daughter, we said was dying, she's not dead, but she's ha is a vampire now, but we're not actually going to tell you that. Also, she's got a kid. Congratulations, you're a grandfather. Please don't ask us any questions. And he's like, <laughs> okay, cool. Also, Kristen Stewart tackles a cougar and drinks its blood. So that's a huge chunk of the movie. And I, again, I'm sitting here like, why is this a movie? This is not, nothing is happening. Oh my God, I'm so bored. Until the bad vampires and the good vampires get together on a big frozen lake. And all of a sudden, everything turns awesome. They have this balls to the wall melee that goes on forever where heads are getting ripped off and limbs are thrown and everyone's matrix fighting with each other. There's a super old vampire gets ripped apart and he, as he's dying, he goes, at last. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wolves are fighting now. All the wolves come running in the CGI wolves and their people are smashing. The, and it's like, what the actual fuck movie did I just turn on? Yes. That's it where I is go. hilarious. <laughs> I have to go back for a second. It is kicked off by the funniest thing that happens in like any movie ever. Michael Sheen is the main bad vampire guy. And he's like, I want to see this immortal child. And they, they bring the little kid over, which they, as vampires, they should know whether she's a vampire or not. Like they should be able to peg. And what? at that moment, oh. he kind of notices because she has like a regular person heart. And he gives the funniest fucking laugh. Please play the clip. Michael Sheen, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and wow he looks awful in whatever makeup that is yeah, they de -age him? wearing clown white everyone's wearing clown white because i don't know it's easier making everyone sparkle oh which goodness. would also be pretty funny but yeah he's dressed you know in a big old cape and then they're like hey you want to meet this little kid that you're here to murder and he's going ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and then they fight anyway and then it turns out that wasn't actually a fight that was the the one with the X-Men power to show them the future of like, if you fight, this is what's going to happen. Everyone's head is Are going to get literally kidding? ripped off. Are you fucking kidding? It was all a dream. If they did it again? Oh my God. That's my like my only Twilight experience is the stupid fucking dream fake out shit. Jesus. Yep. And then the bad vampires go, cool. And then they just leave. And then that's it. Then everyone lives happily we ever would be after. Best this friends. should not be a movie. Wow. This is not a movie. This is not a movie. I would rather watch a train going into a station or workers leaving a factory literally the first films ever made <laughs> some lumiere brothers stuff let me see that we'll get more entertainment out of it it is not a movie it's it's not a movie and wow. then at the very very end as they go into the credits they have like it's like a giant majestic book and they turn the pages of remember this character and i'm like no i was gonna say even though i've seen all these movies now because i hate them 
I didn't think I had a hate watch in me. So as a compare and contrast exercise, Uh think of the Harry Potter series. Think of how it managed to build its world. Think of how it managed to cast characters who grew with their parts. JR's biasing the question here. You can just hear what he... And Mm -hmm. then consider why I'm recommending it. Harry Potter Potter 2? Yeah, Harry Potter 2 is a recommend from me. uh, Harry Potter 2 or (laughs) 7-2? Well, even Harry Potter, I will recommend every Harry Potter movie, ever, all eight of them, sure. because they achieve an amazing act of filmmaking, and the Twilight series biffs everything that Harry Potter got right about adapting yeah. book to screen. Yeah. I One and three are largely watchable. I don't think they're great, but they were okay. Of the Twilights? Of the Twilights. Okay. One and three are watchable. Uh, and the rest are garbage. If you took the the rest of them, you have about one movie's worth but, of material in there. There is so little plot in these. We compare it to even the Harry Potters, where there's all kinds of plots going on, and right. I, I stay interested the whole time. There is a, that they split this into two movies is the most baffling part. There is not any plot for two movies. How did they do that? This one I do recommend is a good bad movie though because it is so fucking weird that this is where this ends up and you do not I mean I I would say you don't see it coming but it's like these movies are about teenagers wistfully staring at each other the whole time and then all of a sudden dudes heads are ripped off by CGI wolves (laughs) and then you're like what and it goes on a while it is a long fight scene and it's hilarious and then everyone just leaves the movie should have been an email. Was that was that like did was was were they being shown like an actual movie of what might happen, or were they talking about what might happen, or is this just no, for our sh- benefit as an audience? Here's what could have happened. It's more like I think she's showing him a vision, like okay. it's in his head, which means that everyone else that showed up, they, they don't know what just happened. Okay, so they didn't see the vision either, as well. I don't think so. Oh. So they're just like, oh well, I guess we follow Michael G. He's he's got his car keys out. I guess we're going. <laughs> oh my god, his movies. <laughs> See, now I'm allowed to say that right. because I'm a killjoy feminist and I've actually watched them. A lot of people dunk on shit because girls like it. You're it right. must suck. No, you should watch it so you know what ways it sucks. That's never what it I wanted sucks. to do. I did not want to, I don't want to yuck anybody's young yums, especially if they're harmless entertainment. But it doesn't sound like Twilight is the most harmless entertainment <laughs> little girls can do. Oh. Overall, no, but this one's just so funny because it's so dumb. And I know two. It's so I know two adult <laughs> women who love the Twilight movies who are my age or older. Okay. Okay. One I don't like, and the other is the worst person I have ever met. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's the worst person I have ever met in my entire life. But. I wonder how they feel about this, how Twilight fans feel about this. Like, do they feel like this is good? The explosion of violence was needed? Or are they like, they're just ruining this to make it more action friendly for some yeah, reason? Yeah, probably a good question. I don't know. I don't like the way the Hunger Games ended either with the splitting yeah. of the films. I didn't think that was very satisfying or very good for the story. I thought I remembered people saying like, yeah, that was a pretty shitty way to unfold that. But. I wasn't listening to Twilight people as closely because didn't love it off the bat and, you know, got plenty of stuff I do like. Can we move on? Hmm. I, I just, I always feel like if care. you haven't watched a single Twilight movie, maybe you should just watch that. <laughs> so Start with like, this one. So- <laughs> I'm so confused. And then, whoa, what the fuck? Through <laughs> a series of bad fortune, I watched 
the first Twilight three separate occasions. Oh my. So that was good. Didn't have to do anything more after that. Nah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe just look up the battle on YouTube. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. so sudden. <laughs> A friend of mine had even worse luck. I think he had to see it four times. <laughs> It was it was horrible. I need to ask him for the story again. Yeah, it was in his own little Clockwork Orange universe, and yeah, it, it, it was it was not good. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to television because this show is already long, and and this is we're probably going to talk mildly at length about this. Uh, eleven eleven through eleven seventeen. That's Nav eleven through the seventeen twenty twelve ten years ago. After what he cites as a rocky relationship on and off the set with the production crew and staff, Ch- Chevy Chase has announced that he will leave Community before the end of the fourth season, appearing in only 11 of the shortened 13-episode order. And I think that is a nice way of saying he was fired. I think Chevy Chase never realized how lucky he was with he Community. He hated Community. Yeah. He, he thought it was unfunny. He hated on the show. Mm-hmm. He was an old man who didn't want to work TV hours. Yes, That's I think that was... Thing. I think he, yeah. didn't, he wasn't studying the material. That's what he didn't like. He did not like mm-hmm. being at work every day in a job that never ended. He was used to yeah. shooting easy yeah. movies in th- six weeks and going home for a year. Yes. Mm. To me, his character in Community is the best character he has ever played yeah. in his entire uh, history. And I like Fletch. I like the that natural Fletch is so good. Whew. His character in Community blows them all out of the water. I get he's an old man. He didn't want to work. He made a huge mistake. But Dan Harmon was a horrible manager. Yes. He did mm-hmm. not manage his talent well either. And just but, because Chevy Chase is a dick doesn't mean that Dan Harmon gets a pass for being a bad true. manager. And losing Chevy Chase hurt community because he was a fantastic character on the show. Yeah. I loved his character. A foil, I a loved... villain. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. He was everything. Yeah. And the show suffered when he left. I think he was fired. Because the way they're talking about the movie now is like, yeah, everybody's coming back for Chevy. And I, I thought I thought I remembered, if you remember the cameo Chevy, he's not dead in the fourth season. Right. That's announced in the okay. fifth season. Yeah. And, and right. eventually he's dead. And the cameo he makes is at the beginning of the sixth season is as a hologram. And Dan Harmon wasn't really shy about saying it's like, yeah, because he wasn't going to be on set with other actors or me. That wasn't going to happen. And with, now with the new movie, it's like, yeah, even Donald Glover's coming back. Not Chevy Chase. I don't even know if that can legally happen. Hmm. because and, and they might have some lawsuit shit with one another as well. But I think Chevy Chase made it not worth it. He was cantankerous publicly when the show was struggling. Like the worst time you could talk shit about your show. I remember when I did an interview with Joel McHale. The show had not premiered yet. I had seen a commercial for the first episode, and I was like, I didn't know anybody but Chevy Chase. And it's one of like the biggest, like, I had every right to say that because who, you know, unless you were watching Derek Comedy, who, how, how would I have known any of those actors? He was the only one I, I recognized. And, and he was the only one, he was the one invited to do all the press, and he's the one shitting on the show throughout its whole existence. Fuck Chevy Chase. Fuck Chevy. And John Hamm is a much better Fletch, and it's, Odd watching that new movie because Chevy Chase would do a really good job with all that and maybe a little better job with a physical comedy because that's where he's underrated. He's also a dick and nobody wants to work with him. But yeah, this is this is yeah. yeah. This, yeah, this is your uh promotion for Confess Fletch because it was great. Oh, so good. <laughs> I need to see it. I still haven't. So good. Showtime or steal it. And then the uh, the Avengers Earth Earth's Mightiest Heroes that ends on Disney XD, a show I've never seen a frame of. 
the best Avengers animated show of all no time. No shit. No Whoa. shit. It was really good. It was replaced with a different cartoon because Disney went, hey, let's just make the, another cartoon more like the MCU. But this one, it had a five-season arc all planned out. There was a lot oh. of uh, drama. There was a lot of great characters. They hit the tone perfectly. They had a bunch of stories based on Ultimate Universe, as well as great storylines in Marvel Comics. And they replaced it with something that just wasn't as good because they wanted to hype on the movies, which I mm. completely understand from a business standpoint. Right. But... This is two years. It starts two years before the movies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. But yeah. I mean, but back then I remember being at Comic-Cons, John Favreau talking about an Avengers and all my Marvel friends were like, fuck you, man. It's never going to happen. It's never going to yeah. happen. They, they've, mm -hmm. we, they've always said this during movie hype periods. It's never going to happen. And uh, speaking of weird TV movie hype, I, I'm not the biggest Catfish TV show fan, but I think it's very fair to say the TV show has way overshadowed the movie by a one billion. It's a show that's been on the air for 10 years. There's yeah. a movie? Yeah, it was Still it's based on a documentary going. movie, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Same, same, hundred and ten episodes. Yep. So, so how does this work? They, they get a catfish to agree to admitting on television that they're a catfish. Yes, basically, they have someone that says like, "There's someone that I've been talking to online, and right. I want to meet them, and I think they might be lying to me." And then they like call the person or contact the person and try to get them to come on, and then they come on, and then they admit something or sometimes it's someone who's been like i have been catfishing this person and i want to come clean i don't know how much of this show is real i think a lot of these people are making shit up i mean why okay. wouldn't you at this if point? they're making stuff up i can understand that i do not understand why anyone would be like yeah i'm a 400 pound man and i've been catfishing people this <laughs> yeah. is my face on national Hello. television a lot of the times it turns out to be someone they know who Yuck. often created a new account on Facebook to see what they were saying about them, and then it got out of hand or whatever. Even yeah. then, it would be like, like yeah, yeah well, why would you admit it? with you? And now I want to admit to you that I've been deceiving you. Yes, on exactly. TV, I don't get that mindset. But now I'm on TV. <laughs> okay, yeah, um... yeah, uh, I don't get it. It's uh, it's strange. I had no idea there was so much of it. Yeah, I, I, as far as I know, it is not canceled yet. And nope. yeah, based on a very small document, I believe the the host is the same guy in the documentary film or was for mm -hmm. at least. Anyway, Mankind, the story of all of us and sadly not Mick Foley uh, debuts on history. This history week. still does some decent things, which shocks me because they've got so much garbage. But this is a excellent series. It's a big history series. You know, they look at literally the entire story of the human race in a 12 hour uh, series and they cover surviving the ice age to discovering farming to the industrial revolution it's a solid history thing and i wish the history channel only made stuff like this yeah yeah you don't like uh, a clan aliens or whatever the fuck they, they run most of the day and then moving on to uh oh, great show parks and rec leslie versus april is that the name of the episode that's the name of the episode but no one remembers it for that they only remember it for this clip <laughs> My, my name just came out of your mouth. Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> well, 
this isn't happening. This, this isn't real. No, it's it's happening, and I'm delighted to have you here. On behalf of the president and myself, I oh, want to... Oh, Mr. Vice President, I am deeply flattered. But there's no way that I could take over Madam Secretary Clinton's position. I mean... I'm <laughs> confident you could do that job or any other, but... Okay, least, I will. But, well... <laughs> <laughs> Adam Scott's face is wonderful in that clip. That I is, love that it. Is, they set it up over many years. Yes. <laughs> this was a running joke. Yeah, yeah, she's super horny for Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, it w- it was just like one thing thrown off in the writer's room. They ran with it for the next five years, and then they finally pay it off with they get Joe Biden to appear. This is the very first time a U.S. vice pre- president has played himself on an American television show. Wow. Where, and, of course, now he's president. Where were you, you Steve heard. I have. <laughs> Joseph Hussein Biden, uh, not my president, put... <laughs> <laughs> and you could, yeah, if you look uh, in that episode, you can zoom in on his pocket and see how he's going to increase gas prices in 10 years around the world, by the way, not just America. Oh, wow. Uh, he's responsible he's... for the whole world's gas prices. It's crazy what, he, what Joe can do when he puts his mind to it. So um, I don't, I'm trying to remember if this is the first episode where they go to D.C. or I think it's not. But I think it's somewhere around this time where they have to address it. Chris Pratt has lost a whole bunch of weight and looks ripped now. Yeah. Wasn't it just <laughs> yeah. Because he's working on Guardians of the Galaxy. And so they just have this throwaway scene of he's like, yeah, I just cut out beer for a month. And yeah, I, don't know, I lost a bunch of weight. Parks and Rec, classic show, 2012 games, 11, 11 through 11, 17. Thomas was alone. I don't know how you get more minimalist than this. Diana, a team of ragtag rectangles travel through <laughs> a rectangle universe with a great British narrator. It's fun. I've always wanted useless April Fool's action figures for the, the team of for Thomas Was Alone. Google it. You'll see why it's silly. A weird franchise finally becomes a f- sub-franchise. Call of Duty Blacks, uh, Black Ops 2 from Treyarch used to be considered uh, the B-team compared to Infinity War, Modern Warfare. Becomes one of the longest-running uh, unbroken franchises within Call of Duty itself, Black Ops. Uh, up to four entries for that, but the second one is out on PC and PS360 this week, solidifying it as uh, something with more to come. Lego Lord of the Rings, where I bounce out of Lego games altogether. I love this. I love running around the Shire in any video game that gives me mm. an ounce of freedom. And it's just so fun walking around the Lego Shire, bumping into people. And was- this is a change for the lego series right now i think that's this is why i bounced out because it, i loved the 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 mime-esque cartoons yep. of the dialogueless lego games and this is where they do what this is where they add in dialogue from the movies but they still make it funny i'm with you chris mm-hmm. i think it was better if they would have just had it be dialogue free silent films but they make it work there's a lot of fun little in jokes at a scene in rivendale uh, there's a man who looks a lot like Agent Smith in the background <laughs> uh, <laughs> and tons of little jokes like that. It's it's a fun game, but I just, I love the Shire. No, me, me too. And then uh, Lego Star Wars, I came back around in the series 10 years later. It's like my favorite game of the year. Very good. And uh, of course, last but not least, Scribble Knots Unlimited on 3DS, kind of this forgotten really cool franchise of drawing whatever you can think of and watching it come to life in a game. Or it no, just, you, you write what you, you only right. have to write it. Yeah. It, it amazed me at the time that you could have a video game where think of anything, any physical object, boom, we make it appear in our game. And like, it can do some obscure stuff that you, you try to stump this and you fail. This is when they kind of add some more depth 
to the thing. They start having levels, a simple plot, uh, but really, basically, it's the same old scribble knots. Indeed. Yeah, with that, we got to thank you guys for listening. We're going to tell you who was born during this period of 30, 2010, and do a really fun quiz where Diane and I face off to figure out who JR is trying to tell us was born during this period of 30, 2010. But before that, got to tell you, patreon.com slash laser time. It's how you can support the show. Some of our bonus stuff was delayed because of co- my COVID, but not anymore. There are no more excuses. I want to put them out. I want you to hear them. So patreon.com slash laser time, five bucks. Maybe we'll make some more if we get some good feedback. Listen to our last Unicorn episodes. We wrap up the third season of Elm Street Nightmare with Chucky, which I think, not spoiling anything, but JR and I came out of that liking that franchise way more than we ever expected to. Holy 100%. shit, what a ride. What a fucking ride. Are you watching Chucky at all, the show? No, no time, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. But if I could... I I have it just doesn't pick up the second after the movie and then I slow down a little bit. I know they're not getting rid of any lore, but like I wanted to see what happened with how they left Curse of Chucky, Vigium Apocalypse. We have a very special guest this week talking about the most expensive things in history in a certain field. Tune in the show. Figure out what that is. We'll talk about God of War Ragnarok as well as uh, Sonic Frontiers, which we've all had an advanced look at. So, yeah. Diana, where can folks find you at? They can find me on the Twitter, uh, for now, at ListenInerd, <laughs> L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week. Mm. Oh, last week we talked about one of the best James Bond movies. We are going to talk about, <laughs> oh, probably the worst one. Honestly, well. probably the worst. It's very, I'm going to have to, you know, <laughs> shorten all of my ranting. Wow. But... We also have two really good biopics. It's honestly, everybody got robbed at the Oscars. Uh, one mm. about Frida Kahlo, one about Malcolm X. And what is Malcolm X going up against at the box office? Oh my God. It, it might be the weirdest. of Chris Columbus. That might be the weirdest triple feature in 30 2010 history. And I'm going to try and do them all back to back. Speaking Holy of Chris shit. Columbus. Oh no. We forgot Kevin again. And no, no, now no. he's lost in New York. He got separated. They didn't forget him. It's very well says written. He's lost. It's very well in New York. Written. He's he lost is. in New York. But we at least are... he's, he's not on lost on a boat with a tiger, which we're also <laughs> going to talk about. <laughs> we are also going to be talking about who is master of their domain. Oh, sweet. <gasps> oh. oh, yeah. I we're going to be the castle. I guarantee it's not uh, me uh, saying lots we'll of We'll also talk about that. the very first genuinely good Star Wars game on a home console. Oh, I'm not sure what uh, we're talking uh, about. We will also be talking about the, I'm going to say it, the worst home console Nintendo has ever released. Okay. Oh. Okay, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. also, we're going to find out, is Senor Plow macho or solamente borracho? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. I cannot wait for next week. So many fun things to talk about. Join us. We'll talk about it together. With I guess with that out of the way, JR, what's what do we do now? It's no. time for the no, 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 wait. talk about who died. No, People oh, have died. <laughs> Attaboy. Attaboy. Way to turn it around. It's been a really long show, guys. We're Sorry. gonna fuck things up. All right. Well, the only person I saw that we lost in two thousand two was uh Myra Hindley, who was sixty. She was one of the Moors murderers in the UK. She and her boyfriend killed like five kids. Just wow. for kicks, apparently. Yeah. Fuck you, Myra Henley, Rod and Piss. Um, and there, maybe... I kept it short and sweet. Right. I'm seeing <laughs> that cheerful note. Now it's for the. <laughs> oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong, goodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, Born.
November 12th, 1982, turning an even 40. Labyrinth. No, Dark Crystal. Oh, people, right? <laughs> people. Okay. Yeah. In the Brooklyn borough of New York, her father was a labor attorney. Her mother is a former actress. In 2012, she did the audiobook recording of Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and won an award for Best Narration is it for, for an audiobook. Feruza Balk, maybe? She st- I guess things no. in 302010 we've talked was, about. I, I, let's all praise Chris. That was a nice pull of the kid who was in Return to Oz. I'm very impressed for his book. Well done. Well done, Chris. <laughs> I didn't, that went right over my head, so I didn't know I, who you I, were I followed to. your logic there. That was pretty impressive. Okay. She would have been Things four. of hers we've talked about include the television series Get Real, The Princess Diaries, oh, oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, indeed. I got there first. Yay. It's a the Devil Wears Prada, uh, <laughs> Rachel's Getting Married, Get Smart. Bride Wars, Valentine's Day, Love and Other Drugs, then Alice in Wonderland, and then of course Selena Kyle in The Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises. Yep. Man, you know, you know what I meant to just to rattle off one of the things I meant to mention. Daniel Day Lewis, we talked about him brief. We recommended him in Last of the Mohicans and then in Lincoln. Lincoln is his ninth movie since Last of the Mohicans. That's how Daniel Day Lewis rolls. Holy shit, I wish I could work once every three or four yeah. years. And you know what I enjoy? I wish these lined up a little bit better because in December, we're going to talk about another Daniel Day-Lewis movie that takes place at the exact same time. Wow. It's also, oh, wow. But he plays an extremely not Abraham Lincoln part. Okay. What well, this is off the <laughs> uh, top of my head. Oh, side digression on Anne Hathaway in my own movie, Dark Dungeons, like 50% of the reviewers say one of our actresses looks like a young Anne Hathaway. Is she single? I mean, good for you, JR. Is she seeing anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm fine. I'm spoken for but yeah. see, dark is dungeon people. Friend in Canada, we we we, we know. <laughs> right, we, she goes to a different school. We don't Stop know her. It. Oh, she's a real person. I just don't know what her last name is yet. And <laughs> <laughs> she says she's too heavy to get on a tra- on a greyhound to come see me. Uh, yeah, but, but I love for her. For some reason, the catfish TV show crew has showed up outside. <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> that's not a tip off anything weird. I know how on. it looks, but I'm not the catfish this time. Thanks, guys. And with that, oh. that's thirty twenty ten. Yeah, what a long we... show, guys. I know. Let's oh, get the fuck out of really here. It's late. Show. But, and I am about to make it longer because we need to talk about the song that we're going out on. This is amazing. Which turns 30 this week. Uh, it was a good day by Ice Cube. Something I still say to this day of, well, that was a good day. I didn't have to use my AK. That's that's how how he meant the song to be interpreted. Obviously. Little bit. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> like I'm the main interpreter of Ice Cube's oeuvre. But... Um, also, is something you should celebrate every January 20th because the internet is undefeated in finding out, all right, what day could he be describing? Because yeah. we know Yo MTV Raps was on the air, it's Clearance Smogless in LA, Beepers are sold, the Lakers beat the Sonics. And that's been narrowed down to January 20th, 1991. Okay. It's, it's amazing. He, he gives enough extremely specific information. I remember this This was kind of years in the making. I don't remember what, what the thing was that like, okay, we officially, we have a period and now we know the day. But there was one or two right. things that came into focus of like 10 years in the internet where they finally nailed down a single day. And yeah, like that. Could, now but we don't do you know think if he really sat down and wrote, ah, no. uh, uh, yes, this was January 20th. 1991. No, but, I'm 
almost immortalized this I... day with hidden clues that internet nerds in something that hasn't been invented will take decades to discover. What, what I like is I don't think he meant to do that at all. And he's probably thinking about a combination of a couple of days. But he is thinking of a very specific time period that you could say is within a year. And very specific things only happen once or twice a year. And Oh, correction. January 20th, 1992. I'm 92. very sorry. But that still fits in and that is something that comes before the release of this album. Now, we do not know if the Goodyear blimp said Ice Cube is a pimp. <laughs> and it, it is an Isley Brothers, a good Isley Brothers sample, and that's always fun to mention. Some of this, this period is the most fun samples from a, a, a table of records a lot of white kids of mine didn't grow up listening to. So I love following samples from these amazing timeless hip-hop songs into where they come from so Isley Brothers footsteps in the dark if you more interested than that and yeah we will close it with it was a good day tell a friend about the show get vaccinated and we will <laughs> see you next week take us out cube today was like one of those fly dreams didn't even see a berry flashing those high beams no helicopter looking for murder two in the morning got the fat burger even saw the lights of the good year blimp and it went ice cubes up drunk as hell but no throwing up halfway home and my page is still blowing up today i didn't even have to use my ak i gotta say it was a good day